I've listened to the album of the year for 2023, Midnights by Taylor Swift, since the minute it came out. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to the Spin It annual Grammy special. everybody and welcome back to spin it the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music i'm james and with me is connor happy grammy day say hello to all your grandmas yeah hello grandma happy grammy day this is your day grandma it's amazing so this is our third grammy special we just watched the grammys last night they announced the winners and so this episode is about as soon as we could turn it around and put it out Yep. And we knew we were pretty likely to have a repeat. I mean, four of the eight finalists for Album of the Year were going to be repeats for us. It would have been so nice not to have, though. It would have been cool, but I don't know what kind of odds that ever had of happening. Realistically, I mean, Taylor Swift has been just tearing up 2023. If you want to look at, like, a person who's dominated the year, and I guess subsequently an album that's dominated the year, look no further. The album didn't even come out in 2023. That's a great point. It did not. But it came out, I mean, you told us on our special bonus content where we predicted every single Grammy, you talked about how the window was from September 15th to October something this year. So it did fall within that window, but barely on the very early end. Yeah. And it's funny because you were worried about Miley Cyrus's staying power in the minds of Grammy voters when Endless Summer Vacation came out so much later. (laughs) than the eventual winner midnights true yeah well obviously since this is a repeat for us and a fairly recent one at that we're not going to do i mean the deepest of dives into taylor swift's history if you're interested in that i would so recommend that you check out episode 113 we have a special extended cut on our website that has i mean so much more detail than you could ever want it's like three hours it's so much it was a ton of fun to make and i'm incredibly proud of it but all of the info about taylor swift is over there so you'll still get more info about taylor swift over here but like just not all of it yeah there's plenty more there's plenty in the back catalog from oh 22 episodes ago so the grammys this year took taylor swift to a total of 14 grammy wins on 52 nominations which is i mean 52 nominations for grammys is unreal fun fact she's been up for an award in seven consecutive years and in 14 out of the last 16 years and the first one of those she was up for was best new artist so in all the years of her career she's only not been nominated for a grammy two times wow yeah also you called this by the way did i yeah in our taylor swift episode you said we were talking about how long the episode would have been if we did red like the taylor's version right because it's a two hour and ten minute album we said the episode would have to have like a seaside extended edition or something and you said we'd have to do a taylor swift part one and a taylor swift part two and lo and behold well here we are (laughs) here we are taylor swift part two so first we're going to talk about our predictions just the other week we put out bonus content where we predicted all 94 grammys yep and honestly what a surprise that was first of all i think it made the grammys a lot more fun we did better than i think either of us expected absolutely (laughs) that's probably why it made the grammys a lot more fun if we had just been missing and missing and missing we probably would have hated it but it was fun to watch them reveal categories earlier in the day and just check off and see like oh i got a hit i got a point and compare yeah we were honestly very close to each other in score yeah we i ended up as the winner so those of you who guessed i would win were correct but it was close 
I ended up with 24 points. Connor ended up with 21 right behind me. Three points. And it would have been only one point if I hadn't betrayed my girl. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, what a regret. I had some regrets too. Big disappointments and shocks, honestly, from our Grammy predictions. One that you talked about a lot was Can You Hear the Music from Oppenheimer? Yeah. Annoyed that they gave it to... I mean, I get it. John Williams was like his, like, the end of his career, the final thing he was going to do. But I just, I couldn't tell you a single note of of that theme wasn't that memorable of helena's song from indiana jones yeah yeah but he's john williams i know i just that one felt a little political people just voting for john williams because they know his name oh just because john williams and he was retiring and yada 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 he had everything going for him have you listened i know when at the time when we were listening to the grammys you're like you weren't really even sure what can you hear the music was have you gone and listened to it yeah i did go listen to it and it's brilliant and we love ludwig around here He's an excellent composer. Yeah, and it just it supported the movie so well. Yeah. The other one that surprised us was God of War Ragnarok not winning any of its immersive audio album categories. Yeah. That was kind of wild. Well, that only surprised me in one of the categories that it was nominated for. The other one, I thought it was going to win it, but I wasn't surprised that uh, the Alicia Keys thing beat it. I think I even said that during the prediction. Oh, that was the immersive audio album. The other one that we picked it for was best score soundtrack for video games. That's the one I thought it would win. Which it lost to Star Wars Jedi Survivor. I haven't played that one, so... I haven't either, but I am just glad that Call of Duty did not pick that one up. <laughs> Other disappointments. I was disappointed Noah Khan didn't get best like new artist or whatever. Yeah, disappointed, but not super surprised. I mean, Victoria Monet. I mean, she was the second most nominated or whatever, right? <laughs> right. She had a huge year. And we even talked about her in the Ariana Grande episode. It was kind of a regret for me. Like, I went with Noah Khan because I liked Noah Khan. We did an episode on him. But I guess I should have really looked at it as, like, how is the person who's the second most nominated not going to get best new artist? Yeah, I really, like, that was kind of a silly pick. Yeah. In retrospect, hindsight's twenty twenty, And... Hindsight's twenty twenty four this year. Ugh, hindsight... Yeah, that's true. Well, hindsight could have earned me a couple more points in these Grammy picks. Yeah. I was disappointed. I mean, you talked about betraying Miley Cyrus for one of your picks. I picked against Boy Genius for Best Rock Song. I went for Olivia Rodrigo's Ballad of a Homeschooled Girl, and I paid dearly for it. Yeah, that shocks me. That shocks me, did too. That. I, can't, I, don't even, I didn't even remember you doing that when we revealed them. I did it because I thought people would vote for Olivia Rodrigo. Boy, this year was not a follow-up to her 2022. <laughs> that is for sure. But yeah, let's talk about, you know, the notable winners and the losers this year. We had a lot of people take home a lot of Grammys, and we had a lot of people take home not a lot of Grammys. Arguably more of the second one. Let's start with Taylor Swift. Obviously, she had a great night. She won Album of the Year. She won Best Pop Vocal Album. And she was also nominated for Record and Song of the Year, Best Pop Duo or Group Performance for Karma, Best Pop Solo Performance for Antihero. So... In total, on her six nominations, she got two Grammys this year, and she won that album of the year. This is her fourth album of the year win, meaning she's won more albums of the year than anyone in history. She used to be tied at three with Frank Sinatra, Stevie Wonder, and Paul Simon, who actually last hit the milestone in 1987. And just by the math, right, that means Taylor Swift has won more than 6% of all of the album of the year Grammys ever. Whoa. I know, it's a stupid number. The other three winners that she's had are Fearless back in 2010, 1989 back in 2016, and Folklore back in 2021. Honestly, we just missed that one on the podcast. Yeah. One year earlier, and we would have grabbed that one. 
I do think also that Antihero was a notable loser. It got three nominations this year, and it won none of them. Yeah, yeah. That, that, dude, we, like, both were shocked. And that was, again, probably my biggest regret of the night. The one time I didn't go with Miley Cyrus. And it was the most important. It was for record of the year. And I went with Antihero, just figuring there's, as much as I wanted Flowers, there's no way it was going to get beat. Uh-huh. Or that it was going to be able to beat Antihero, and... If I had stuck with Flowers, I would have only lost by one point. I mean, that's true. And you would have been able to say that you stuck to your guns. Yeah. Miley staying on the way. I think Miley had probably the most exciting night. A heck of a night. Honestly. Yeah. She took home her first two Grammys ever after being nominated for six this year. Heck yeah. The two that she won were Best Pop Solo Performance and obviously Record of the Year, which is huge, both for Flowers. It's her third year up for a Grammy. She also was nominated one time each at the 57th and 64th Grammys. (laughs) Oh, and then they go to six. Yeah, a six nomination year is enormous for her. Yeah. I mean, just outstanding. And I think she had one of the most fun live performances as well at the Grammys. I really enjoyed her performance. She just had a lot of fun with it. It wasn't anything super flashy or big. Uh, Yes. She just had a lot of fun with it. No, I mean, a lot of other artists came in with set pieces and pyrotechnics and like really interesting and cool stuff, fun to watch. Yeah. But Miley was just so into it and excited. She kind of just got up there, sang, and danced. She bought herself flowers. (laughs) Yeah. And the ad libs that she threw in were great. You know, talking about how she just won her first Grammy. Extra chastisement on the subject of the song. Yeah. I didn't want to leave you. But I did. (laughs) I didn't want to fight, but we did. Yeah. Very sassy kind of performance. Honestly, great. Now, Miley was our pick for album of the year. We did both pick Endless Summer Vacation. And I just want to say. And I knew knew it wasn't going to win the minute you picked it. I mean, you did say that. Never predicted right. (laughs) Not yet. One of these years. But we caused some flack for that pick a little bit. And just for the record. Yeah. Taylor Swift is not infallible. Yeah. I mean, Miley did beat her twice. Heck, she's only won. Four out of the years. (laughs) Come on. I mean, she's only won 14 out of 52. (laughs) Yeah. I think Miley had a really good shot, probably better than we even figured at Album of the Year originally, just to see how many she picked up. Yeah, she beat out Antihero twice. Yeah. The other person we have to talk about this year is SZA. Yes. SZA came into the night as the most nominated artist. She was up, up for, for nine. nine. Yeah. Coming into this year, she had one win and 15 other nominations. Of her nine nominations this year, she did win a third of them, which, I mean, three Grammys is a lot. I mean, she was nominated for nine. I just expected her to be, like, the clear big winner, you know? Yeah, and then didn't. <laughs> no. That was one of my strategies was just picking SZA every time they popped up just because, like, I mean, they're nominated nine times. They're going to win at least, like, at least half of them, so that's going to be some big points, and then didn't happen. Did not happen. She did get Best R&B Song for Snooze. She got Best Progressive R&B Album, and she got Best Pop Duo and Group Performance for Ghost in the Machine featuring collab queen phoebe bridgers that's a respectable three grammys sure that's exciting but speaking of phoebe bridgers boy genius had quite a night first of all every time they were on camera it looked like they were just (laughs) having the most fun in the world they were having a good time yeah yeah a phoebe was like front row during scissors performance and she almost got hit with a sword and she just was living it up i loved it boy genius this is their very first year at the grammys they were nominated in six categories including album of the year they won three of them the record picked up best alternative music album and not strong enough won best rock song i shouldn't have bet against it and best rock performance and 
In fact, Phoebe got that Grammy with SZA for Ghost in the Machine, which means she got the most wins of the night with four. Oh! Yeah, and three wins for Boy Genius puts them tied for the second most. Incredible night for Boy Genius and Phoebe and Julian and Lucy. Love that. Nice. I know. I also wanted to talk about some of the snubs, I think, a little bit. Some of the people that got overlooked or went home empty-handed. They went home empty-handed. Not all of them were snubs. (laughs) Okay, yes, that's, yeah. John Batiste, first of all, shocked us back in 2022 with his album of the year, We Are. Mm -hmm. Loved it. I mean, that year, he kicked butt. He took home his first five Grammys in 2022, and I loved World Music Radio. I thought it was a ton of fun, really well-made piece of work. This year, he was nominated for six Grammys and just did not manage to snag a win in any category. He did do an awesome tribute performance, though. Yeah. So that was nice. Yeah, it was good. Another person that went home empty-handed, surprisingly, obviously, I voted for her once or twice, Olivia Rodrigo. She had a three-win year back in 2022, and this year she was nominated in six categories, even performed Vampire Live. She also went home empty-handed. No. She went home bloody-handed. Yeah, she did vampire. Very interesting choice to use the blood packet and get it all over the microphone. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? When it first, like, smattered in her hand, I didn't even realize that it was blood. I just thought, like, it was a shadow. Yeah. I missed that. But, I mean, it fits the theme of the song. We also had a bit of BBSP show up to the Grammys. Oh, we sure did. Lainey Wilson, we called it recently. Episode 132. I mean, less than a month ago, we talked about Bell Bottom Country, and this is her first Grammy win. In, in her first Grammy year, she went 50-50. She lost country duo or group with Jelly Roll for Save Me. But gotta love Lainey Wilson. She is cooking with grease. Other memorable moments at the Grammys that I really loved. Billy Joel's performance. I I mean, I don't know if it brought the house down. It brought my house down. I mean, yeah, Billy Joel not only performed his new song, first new song in, what, 30 years or something like that? Well, Technically, is his first new single in 17, but he hasn't put out an album in 30 years. There you go. That's what it is. And he didn't want the ones that came out 17 years ago to come out, I don't think. Oh, but not only did he do that, but then they surprised he got, he played us out. Yeah, he got to play You May Be Right, and that's great. I think he did awesome. He sounded excellent. I love Turn the Lights Back On. Yeah. Joni Mitchell was another standout performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, she didn't move a lot, but wow. Oh, she, just her voice hasn't aged a day. Honestly, she nailed that. The Queen. We got to talk about the Queen. Dua Lipa was back Dua in full Peep. force. I think, you know, she played Houdini, but that first part of the song that I don't think I recognized, I believe that was a brand new song. She might have been debuting that. I don't know. It's not brand new. I guess she didn't debut it, but it's called Training Season, and the official video came out three days ago. Oh. As of the day after the Grammys when we're recording this. Nice. So it is newer. Yeah. I'm excited for whatever her new record's going to be. I got a bit of vindication as well. Did you? For my ridiculous Grammy awards joke that I make every year and, in fact, started this episode off with. Yeah, you did. Trevor Noah, he made the same joke and... A bunch of famous people laughed at it, which means they liked our joke. Olivia Rodrigo laughed at our joke. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very original joke where you say that the (laughs) Grammy Awards should go to grandmas. Nobody's ever had that thought before, I bet, but you. That's exciting. No one ever. He he just also had a great... He had tons of comedic timing. Yes. Throughout the Grammys. Like, things just kept working out perfectly. Right. As he would name people, they would walk in from yeah. being, like, late or mingling or whatever. And yep. they'd suddenly show up, and he was like, whoa, I think Trevor Noah is an excellent host. He did a great job better this year than last year, I thought. The cameraman was right on it, going to Terry Crews, <laughs> when he said he was going to cut the football players anytime somebody mentioned Taylor Swift to give her a break. Yeah. That was 10 out of 10. I also really loved... 
Travis Scott. I don't think I had heard this song before, <laughs> that but was, that was such a weird, that was such a weird moment. It was. <laughs> I mean, he he was singing his song and it sounded fine. He just started throwing chairs, like they just stacked up a bunch of folding chairs next to him, yep. and he chucked them around the stage. Very interesting. Yeah. Also, Killer Mike. Yeah. What was up with that? Did we ever get official word on what happened? Well, so Killer Mike got escorted away from the ceremony not again not the televised one the afternoon one via police in handcuffs <laughs> yes he was escorted away in handcuffs apparently it was for some kind of misdemeanor minor thing and yeah i guess it's all been resolved oh okay some kind of physical altercation that happened maybe even before the ceremony that they just showed up like to get him i, I don't know but i think everything ended up fine just very interesting news to hear in the middle of the awards yeah also you two performing in the sphere for the first time was really interesting that was cool i like your thing where they were like oh the cameras have never been inside and then it took them like half the song to go inside this yeah they made a big deal about how no television cameras have ever been allowed inside and i was like are they gonna do it though like are they gonna go inside <laughs> yeah, yeah although it would have been hilarious to be like no television cameras have ever been allowed inside before and then just and they, not do it and they still weren't yeah. <laughs> this is no exception it's like that bit in the simpsons normally tour groups can't go in this way and today is obviously the same incredible but of course the grammys got put on hold at least on social media yeah before they were even over yeah i think the most memorable moment of the night happened when taylor swift picked up her grammy for best pop vocal album and she proceeded to announce taylor swift 11 the tortured poets department comes out this spring yeah everybody thought it was gonna be the, another taylor's version album right i thought it was gonna be reputation everyone was betting reputation she changed her profile picture to black and white they've been speculating about it conspiracy theorying about it for months when's it coming when's it coming and so this was i think a total shock to almost everyone and you know what that means too that means Tortured Poets Department is going to be in the running for next year's Grammys. Oh, I already thought about that when it happened. I was like, dang it, we're going to be right next year. <laughs> if we do a third Taylor Swift episode, I... It's going to become our annual Taylor Swift episode <laughs> instead of our annual Grammys episode. I mean, it's it's rare that someone wins Album of the Year twice in a row, but it has been done. So who knows? To think about it, it's like it's hard to do because you have to put out like two really good albums in back-to-back -back years. Absolutely. But this one came out in 2022. Yep. And so it's really every other year she's had plenty of time to work on it a lot of time to work. and she said that she's been keeping it a secret for two years which makes me think that i mean she's already had a lot of work on it done for a long long time yeah i don't know i'm excited to hear it i don't know if we'll engage with it as a podcast is it gonna be another one that you stay up till midnight to listen to it as soon as it drops totally ridiculous absolutely but think about it midnight is like 11 o'clock <laughs> my time so it's gets to be midnight by the time i finish the album fair enough but I mean, I think that's a good enough transition to get into Midnight. Yeah, speaking of staying up till midnight to listen, man, yeah, we got to talk about Midnight's. First of all, a lot has happened in Taylor Swift's life since the last Grammy episode. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22 weeks older <laughs> than the last time we talked about Red. Has it been 22 weeks? Is that is that actually how long it's been? It's been 22 weeks. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was episode 113. So I figured I'd make the red joke. So what's new since the last time we talked about Taylor Swift? Well, here's a little rundown of the last five months that she's had. All the stuff that we couldn't have talked about 
in the original Taylor Swift episode because it couldn't have happened. It hadn't happened yet. I mean, there's some wild stuff. Brace yourself. It's more than you think is possible. I have no idea what you're about to... No, I wanted you to be surprised. First of all, probably the most publicly visible thing that everyone's talking about. When we did the episode on Red, she was in a relationship with the 1975's Maddie Healy. That has obviously since ended kind of <laughs> unceremoniously, and she started dating, very ceremoniously, Kansas City Chiefs player Travis Kelsey. Yeah. So, that's new and all the rage now. He's going to the Super Bowl next week, I guess this weekend. Yeah, there was a, there's a lot of people who thought things might be rocky simply because he didn't come to her biggest night uh, of the year. Because he wasn't at the Grammys. Because he's preparing yeah. for his biggest night of the year. Yeah, but she'll probably be there. So, you know, where's the... Unbelievable. Where's the quid pro quo? People are way, way too reading into that. I mean, I'm glad that they've got this awesome relationship that seems so good publicly facing. But it also seems like they have plenty of opportunities to just be out of the public eye. Yeah. Which is nice. So that's obviously the first big thing. Travis Kelsey, he's new. Didn't talk about him. Also, in the last five months, Cruel Summer... Made it to number one after a few years on the market. Oh. Pushed it to the top of the charts. Mm-hmm. It's from her Lover album, so it's been out for a while, but as a single, it's doing well. Also, 1989 Taylor's version came out. She first teased it a little bit before our episode, but it's come out since then. So she's had another million-selling album come out since then. Oh, my gosh. Multi-millions, actually. It's sold more than two million copies. Is that one going to be eligible? I don't think so, because it's not, like, <laughs> newly released material, most of it. You know, they've got those, like, 75% thresholds that you talked about so much in the special? Yeah, I don't know. So I don't think it's eligible, but who knows? And, actually, 1989 Taylor's version was the first album to sell over a million physical copies on vinyl, like, since Luminate started keeping track of that in 1991 nuts uh-huh i know so that was huge for her also since our episode released in october of 2023 a month after our episode taylor swift became a billionaire bloomberg calculated her net worth to be 1.1 billion dollars that's elite that's cool yeah she was only a multi-hundred millionaire in our first episode so she made it <laughs> across the threshold in december she was time magazine's person of the year and also around Spotify rap season, Spotify revealed that she was the most streamed artist globally with more than 2.6 billion streams. She did all of those, like, you know, where the artist could, like, submit, like, a thank you thing yeah. for Spotify rap or whatever. And, like, whoever your most listened to artist that did one, mm -hmm. you got a little message saying thanks. Apparently, all the artists I listen to don't do it because I got Taylor <laughs> Swift. Uh, <laughs> even though I only listened to the episode once. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> I guess twice, three times. You listen to the album at least three times because you listen to Taylor's version once, the stolen version once, and then you listen to them both at the same exact time, like one in one ear and one in the other. Yep, yep. Yeah, so that's really like four times total. Yeah. Four plays through, so that's probably why it happened. Yeah. <laughs> you're a regular Swifty. You've moved on from slowy or cruisy, and you're all the way to Swifty. Heck yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, the Eras Tour is still ongoing. Since our episode, she's performed six more shows internationally earning the biggest single and three-day attendance records in Brazil. Also, she's the first female act to perform at their Estadio Olimpico, Nilton Santos. Is that a stadium? Yes, an Olympic stadium. Wow! Oh, and the Eras Tour movie came out in October, a month after our episode. Yes, that my sister would not stop telling me to go watch. <laughs> Guess what, I didn't. You didn't? Wow. I didn't go see the movie, but I lived the show, so there you go. Whoa. 
You lived the movie. Yeah. The Eras Tour movie earned $216 million at the box office, making it the highest grossing concert movie ever made. And I don't know if you know this. Guess how many major motion pictures delayed their release date around the Eras Tour because they didn't want to get squashed by it. Oh, I'm, when, I, I know it happened. I couldn't tell you how many, but I know it happened. Eight feature films moved their release dates. Eight films were like... Oh my gosh. Eight movies were like, we're not going to compete for viewership on Eras Tour Day. So they moved. It's unbelievable. That's nuts. Yeah. And now, of course, she's made Grammy history and announced an 11th studio album. So she's been up to quite a bit in the last 22 weeks. Maybe we did need a second episode to keep up with her. Good grief. Nuts. Yeah. Now, last time we talked about Red. This time, we're talking about your album of the year, Midnight's. It's Taylor's 10th studio album, produced, of course, by her friend and frequent collaborator and the Grammy-winning producer of the year, Jack Antonoff. They recorded and created most of Midnight's together in New York City, and some of the extra recordings on the deluxe editions, you know, the 3AM and the Till Dawn and all the cute little deluxe editions, that had some work done in LA, features other notable producers like Soundwave and Jahan Sweet. Taylor has a habit of announcing things during award shows. I don't know if you know, but she does this frequently. She actually announced Midnight's during the MTV Video Music Awards in 2022, and then she went on a massive social media campaign to promote Midnight's instead of doing you know, press tours and interviews. What she did was she released track titles one by one in a TikTok series that she called Midnight's Mayhem with Me. Yes, I did know this. Yeah? Were you part of the mayhem? No, I just, you were, and so I heard all about it. That could be. (laughs) I just thought you might have heard about it. You know, back in episode 10, the mixtaper told a lie about a giant bingo cage that the band Camino used. And... Taylor Swift, what she did was she used a big bingo cage to pull each random track number, and then she would pick up a phone and reveal the corresponding title. Kind of fun, kind of chaotic. She also started using a lot of clock imagery, kind of took on this vintage aesthetic, like the 70s, you know, the wood panels and the upholstery. Like, you, you've probably seen some of the promotional images. And honestly, that kind of aesthetic that she adopted ended up setting expectations for the album's sound that were not correct. People thought it was going to be way different than it ended up being because of the way that she promoted and the way that it's, like, branded. She also teased some of the lyrics from Midnight's on billboards in major cities around the world, including Nashville and London and a few others. The album is called Midnight's because it's meant to evoke all the different thoughts that are going through your head when you can't sleep in the middle of the night. You know, the kind. You're laying awake, and suddenly everything you ever did wrong is, like, replaying in your mind. Sure. Taylor says, Midnight's is a collage of intensity, highs and lows, and ebbs and flows. She said, life can be dark, starry, cloudy, terrifying, electric, hot, cold, romantic, or lonely. Just like Midnight's. So that's the general theme behind the album. And you're right, yeah, the 2023 album of the year, controversially maybe, not really, came out on October 21st, 2022. And she released its deluxe edition, the 3AM edition, at, you know, 3AM, the same morning. And let me tell you something, she milked it for all it was worth. Yeah. This album got so many variants. There were four kinds of CDs, four kinds of vinyl LPs, a cassette tape, Target exclusive CDs and records, and more, just for the standard edition of this album. 
it that's it's wild nobody that i know of has ever done a release campaign like that it's pretty nuts it is she knows how to get the numbers i mean first of all swifties are gonna buy everything but then like collectible editions are gonna boost your sales physically limited digital editions with exclusive tracks are gonna boost your streams it's just a really well designed rollout strategy and it paid off i mean i've seen a lot of people complain about it about how it's like manipulating consumers or whatever but the people buy it people want it you know what i mean yeah it's not manipulating the consumer if they choose to consume it like that but man it's impressive Obviously, Midnight's was a worldwide mega hit. Antihero was its lead single. In the two-ish months that it was out, Antihero skyrocketed to be the best-selling single of 2022 from October 21st to December, the best-selling single of 2022. And it made Taylor Swift the first artist with a number one radio hit in the first three decades of the millennium. In fact, it debuted at number one on 14 international charts. Midnight's was also the most streamed album in a single day and in a single week on Spotify ever. I'm not talking about 2022, I'm talking about ever. And it broke similar records on Apple Music and on Amazon. It sold 800,000 copies on its first day. By five days, it hit a million in its first week, which made it her record-maintaining fifth record to do that. Every single track from Midnight's debuted in the Billboard Global 200, every single one. Nine songs entered the top 10, which broke the record for the most songs entering at the top 10. And Taylor was the very first artist to claim the entire Billboard Global Top 5 at once. Midnight's ended 2022 as the best-selling album, and in 2023, it went on to be the second best-seller. So, I mean, yes, it came out in 2022, but it was no slouch in its its year. Can I just call it its year? It was the album of the year. Uh, sure, yeah, it's its year. Yeah. Taylor also occupied, by the way, four other slots on the 2023 top 10. So fully half of the top 10 albums in 2023 belonged to Taylor Swift. Midnight's was so big, apparently, that it single-handedly brought in 3% of Universal Music Group's annual revenue. And again, I cannot stress enough, it came out in late October and it brought in 3% of their annual revenue Wild in 20% of the year. It is so wild. People said that they hadn't seen these kinds of sales, especially in physical media, since the 90s, since the boy band craze. It's like Beatlemania, but not Taylormania. I mean, I think I even said, I definitely said it last night, that she is our generation's Beatles. I mean, name another artist that has that kind of power that the Beatles had during their prime That's a lot, that's doing music today it's her you can't (laughs) it's pretty much taylor swift there are a few others that probably could be in the conversation Uh, there are people who are super influential but i think she takes the cake for most influential of our generation Mm -hmm. for now i mean who knows maybe she'll have her downfall who knows i'll buy a ticket (laughs) i mean we talked about red on our first go round and how red was kind of an album of growth as she tried to kind of push away from her country roots into a more mainstream pop sound, I think Midnight's kind of serves the same purpose. It's an evolutionary, transitional kind of album between the storytelling, folksier, singer-songwriter style stuff on Folklore and Evermore, and it's, I think, kind of a step towards or maybe even into whatever she's headed for with the Torture Post Department in a few months. I would say... Personally, I feel like Midnight's is like a halfway point between Reputation and and probably Speak Now, but it's hard to tell for sure. Either way, I feel like it's a transitional album. It feels like it's got one foot in and one foot out of a couple different genres and styles. Other trivia tidbits, Midnight's, of course, 
kicked off her record-breaking Eras Tour, which we covered in a ton of detail on our B-side for 113. By the time the Eras Tour is done, it will have taken most of two years with more than 150 shows on five continents. And so far, in addition to its two Grammys this year, Midnight has also earned a People's Choice Award, a Nickelodeon's Kids' Choice Award, an iHeartRadio Music Award, an MTV Video Music Award, and a lot more, 15 major awards since late 2022. So that's going to do it for the Grammy recap and the Midnight's pre-cap. Ooh. And now it's time to bring the mixtaper out here for another Grammy-fied round of Factor Spin. Is he ready? I don't know if I'm ready. Yeah, let's get him on out here. Let's do it. Hey, it's me, Mixtaper. Welcome back to the Spinnies. That, yes, yeah, the Spinnit Awards, our version of the Grammys. Unlike the Grammys, you know what? You can own the Spinny gramophone, the golden Spinny. You can own that. We won't claim ownership of that. Dude, all night when when we were watching the Grammys, that's every time somebody got one, we were like, they don't own that. They don't own that. The Grammys <laughs> own that. Yeah. Fun fact, if you didn't have the chance to check out our Grammy predictions bonus content, we talked a lot about the mechanics of the Grammys and how they work and who gets to vote and like just the what's what of the Grammys. I'm on a campaign to become eligible to vote. Yeah, we'll see. And one of the things that we learned is that nobody who wins a Grammy owns the little statuette. The Recording Academy maintains ownership of all those and allows winners to hold on to them as long as they're in good standing and don't like exploit them commercially. Don't sell tickets to like touch my Grammy, you know what I mean? <laughs> what a weird ticket to sell. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Sadly though, for Taylor Swift, people would absolutely buy tickets. Totally. So last time I played Factor Spin against you about Taylor Swift, we went 50-50. Yeah. But it was across the normal version and the B-side. So we'll see what you got this time. Last time you told us about, I mean, you tried to sneak Ryan the ghost back on us. Yep. You talked about her facial recognition software that she uses to track uh, disruptive concert goers. You talked about a book she wrote about a girl named Girl when she was younger that nobody knows what it's about. Very cryptic. Mm-hmm. And you talked about a spin where she thought one of the Santa Claus actors on her Christmas tree farm died in front of her as a child. I mean, that was dark. <laughs> Yeah. Then, in the B-side, we played a Fast Fire Facts about items in her mansion that she owns, and we did another little new kind of game about the stuff that she keeps on her rider, and darn you, there were no tacos. <laughs> so I'm excited to see what you bring this time. So last year... You talked about other awards that Harry Styles might have been able to win, right? Because he kept Twix in his pockets all the time. Or he, I don't know, did other awardable things. Is that where we're headed this time? Is this a Grammy-themed factor spin? Yeah, absolutely that's the theme. Okay, I like that. I like that we're setting more Grammy episode traditions. Yeah. Oh, the other thing I have to keep in mind is that you revealed to me on the bonus content where we predicted things that you said one of these facts that you've got, you came up with beforehand that you were going to use for no matter who won the Grammy. So it is either true about Taylor Swift and you would have used it for anybody or it's a spin and I have to keep my eyes out for something that could have applied to any Grammy winner maybe. I probably won't catch you on that, but let's see. I'm just reminding (laughs) myself and the audience that it's out there. It exists. It is out there. So our first potential award that Taylor Swift could win is the 
That's what you get award. Well, what Taylor Swift gets is a lot of Grammys. <laughs> is this an award that, I mean, is she telling somebody else that's what you get? Yeah. Or is somebody telling her that she's getting what she deserves? Yeah, she told somebody that's what you get. That's fun. Yeah. Who'd she tell? A reporter. Uh-oh. What happened to the reporter? This sounds like a karmic kind of fact. Karma, you know, is a <laughs> relaxing thought. They threw up. The, oh, somebody. They vomited. Was she present for the vomiting? Well, yeah, she caused it. She caused a reporter to vomit? Yeah. Why? And why is that what the reporter deserved? Because they wouldn't leave her alone. Oh, someone was like hounding her and hounding her and just bugging her? Mm-hmm. Paparazzi style. What does she do to make them throw up? Did something weird with her elbows. Oh, awesome. What can she do with her elbows? <laughs> is she like double jointed? She's double jointed in her elbows. And the way she tells it is the reporter wouldn't leave her alone. And so she turned around and like contorted her arms for the photo that they wanted. And apparently it was so disgusting that the reporter threw up and she went, that's what you get. And then walked off. Incredible. <laughs> Did the picture make it out? Does that exist? Uh, it wasn't attached to, to this. So I have no idea. Oh, I found a list of the most iconic Taylor Swift quotes. And one of them was, that's, that's what, what you, you get. get. <laughs> awesome. Was my mind is alive. Another one. Cause I still love that. We talked about it on the other episode. I just love it so much. Yes, yes, yes. It's absolutely <laughs> on this list. <laughs> I think this is hilarious. I'm going to say this one is a fact. I think Taylor Swift could win a That's What You Get award for her twisty elbows. <laughs> so lock it in fact? Yes. This is a spin. Oh, that's what I get. She is double-jointed, though, but nothing to do with the reporter or throwing up or any of that. Darn. I just made a spin out of her being double-jointed. That's a pretty good one. That's a really good story. <laughs> Thank you. Although she doesn't seem like the kind that would say that's what you get. She does seem like the kind that would try and like do something kind of harmless like that. To You're talking about the woman that put out a song called Look What You Made Me Do. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but there is a – I did find a list of the most iconic Taylor Swift quotes, and My Mind is Alive is absolutely like one of the top ones on the list. Yeah. So that part was also true. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the first award. Okay. Loser of the That's What You Get Award. Our next award, the Popcorn Award. Or maybe better yet, the Popcorn Wish Award? Well, the Popcorn Award just sounded like someone who ate a lot of popcorn or made good popcorn. The Popcorn Wish Award sounds like somebody who didn't but is really sad about it. <laughs> What's the Popcorn Wish? It's a superstition that, that she tried out. Tried out? Are you supposed to, like, wish on, like, a shooting star but it's an unpopped kernel of corn at the bottom of your bag, you know? Even weirder. Really? What's weirder than that? You're supposed to take two kernels of corn... And throw them in a well and make a wish for a husband. You're supposed to... Why popcorn kernels? I don't know. Why a well? I don't know. Why a husband? I don't know. Well, what do you know? Well, well I, I, it's just... It's a superstition that her mother used to tell her that if you are trying to find your husband, throw two popcorn kernels in a well and a trace of like what your hu future husband will look like will appear in the well. Future husband. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. if it's just when you're trying to find your normal husband, it's probably because he's going to come home and be like, who threw this corn in the well? <laughs> like, that's how you'll find him. Oh, boy, I can't wait to come home from a long day to eat my last two pieces of corn that I that was saving. Oh, I was thinking more like he was drawing water from the well and realized someone threw corn in it. But, uh -huh. yeah, your way works, too. So she throws popcorn kernels. And it's supposed to give you a glimpse 
Uh, what your future husband will look like. Well, okay, tell me this. Did the well say that he's going to win the Super Bowl this year? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, what, what did the well say? Did she see anything? No, never got a glimpse, which maybe means she's never going to get married. I don't know. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I don't, is that how you're supposed to read that open? But no, she says it, she doesn't think it works, but it's something she used to do as a kid with her mother. Interesting. Did they have access to a well on the Christmas tree farm or, or somewhere in Pennsylvania? Like, wells are not super common nowadays. I don't like if I had to make a wish in a well, like if someone came up to me and said, you have 24 hours to make a wish in a wishing well. I don't know legitimately if I could find a well soon enough. I think I could do it. Just drive out to the country. You'll find one. Maybe. Uh, well, I uh, don't know if they had one on the farm or not. This is such an interesting award. Do you know where this tradition or practice like started? For all I know, it's something her mother made up. I don't know. I've certainly never heard of it, and I've heard a lot of weird, like, country wise tales. This one seems to be untrue. Thinks it's untrue. Thinks I've double spend. Yeah, I do kind of think it's a spin. I'm wondering how much of a deep dive you could have done on the limited turnaround time between when we knew Taylor Swift was the episode and right now, this second. It's been less than 20 hours. And Taylor Swift, I mean, I'm sure you already found a lot of the stuff that there was to find about her for the last episode. I think this one's a spin. I don't think the Popcorn Wish Award is valid. I think she's going to lose that one too. Her and her normal elbows. <laughs> this is... A spin. Oh, yeah. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, you're not going to fool me twice. Your logic's a little off. I don't know. Well, I'm sure it was. I have a reason for picking this. Okay, what's that? And it's one. this is the one that I was going to use regardless, but it really worked out that it was for Taylor Swift. Oh, I didn't even get the chance to guess. Yeah, sorry. I mean, you had the chance. You could have guessed. You well, just didn't. I wanted to wait and hear all four and then, like, figure out which one. Oh. But, okay. Oh, my bad. I was unclear on the rules. No, we didn't make rules. It's my fault. So, I found this, you know, because I did do just a little bit of preliminary, like, looking for facts for the artist ahead of time. Smart. <laughs> not, not, like, anything too concrete or, like, in-depth, but I just did some... I did Dip my toes in the water a little bit yeah. start looking. Yeah, you would have been silly not to because the odds were so high that she would win. I, I took half my notes yeah. for this episode before she won. I just had a hunch. Wanted to be ready. Yeah. I googled crazy facts about Midnight, like trying to get the album to oh. see if there's any interesting facts about the album. And I came across the list of 12 crazy superstitions about the midnight hours. So you're supposed to throw corn into a well at midnight. At midnight. Yeah, two kernels of corn for a husband. You're supposed to chuck two kernels of corn at midnight into a well and repeat the phrases. Spirit of this living well, pray assist me in my spell. And as I look upon thy face, let my husband's form their trace. Well, if you had said that, I never would have believed it. Yeah, well, that's why I didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then you're supposed to hold a mirror face downward over the center of the well and your future husband will appear in the glass weird i don't know i don't know either that's a fun one yeah and so i was i came across that i was like that's just such a weird thing i can use that about anybody but it's works for taylor swift the best of course but it was just such a weird thing i read yeah she's a self-proclaimed lover i don't know it's the hopeless romantic kind of thing it feels yeah it worked well for taylor up next the copycat award the copycat award I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> I was I was going to just sit there quietly and refuse to buy into it, but I, the, the silence was too deafening. <laughs> well, I just want to be in the running next year, you know? I see. And what's the copycat award? Is it for copying cats? For copying a specific cat. Oh. Did she clone one of her cats? <laughs> 
Just kidding. She was in the movie Cats. Yeah, as I say, well, that's the, that's what works out, right? She was in the movie Cats, so she's the cat people were copying. Oh, people were copying her. In what way? Like for Halloween? Like for something? Yeah, for Halloween. Oh. What's so significant about this that it's like award-winning? How many people dressed up as Cats Taylor Swift for Halloween? Well, in the year 2020, Taylor Swift's cat costume was the number one selling Halloween costume. No way. Well, that's what you have to decide. That's what I'm telling uh, yes. you. Yes. <laughs> that is so hard to believe. 2020 was, I guess, a, a bad year for trick-or-treat. I mean, there wasn't a lot of people buying outfits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a lot of people buying outfits. But, uh... but Cats was notoriously bad. I heard people that went to Cats to make fun of it and still hated it and walked out like couldn't even laugh at it because it was so bad i i agree not to say anything about taylor swift or her performance in it i haven't seen cats but i mean we talked in our andrew lloyd weber episode about how cats was so traumatic he was allowed to get a therapy dog for planes yeah do you know any of the other costumes that were on the list like what did it beat on the list for most requested halloween costume to 2020 is also ninja turtle nice thor and princess peach Oh. A lot of kid stuff in there. Well, that's the thing about it. Ninja Turtles is the only one that really surprises me. (laughs) Now, you said most requested right there. Was it the most purchased and available or just the most people asked about it? Yeah, well, I guess it was just the most requested, but I Mm. I kind of assumed that also meant it was the most... I guess, yeah, I don't know. I guess, yeah, I guess I slipped slip of the tongue there. Uh, Most requested, not necessarily most purchased. Sure. I don't think it was a slip of the... I just was confused on what metrics we're working with here. Yeah. I I don't want to miss... I don't want to misportray my facts. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm saying it's the most requested, not the most purchased. Sure. Oh, also on the list... I don't know what this means. Just is the word Fortnite. Like is, is the Fortnite character <laughs> a specific like wait why what? <laughs> why is Fortnite? That probably is a most requested one. Some parent came in and said, My kid wants yeah. to be Fortnite. And then they're like, I don't know what they <laughs> did the same thing you just did. But anyway. I gotta be honest. I feel like you said most of the Halloween costumes are kid things. I can't get away from that. It's gotta be true. Think about all the people that just dress up as like the normal stuff, the Frankensteins and the vampires and the, you know, like sure. either scary Halloween core type stuff or kid characters and like small child Halloween costumes. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I mean, Taylor Swift as a cat has a lot of Halloween costume potential, but it appeals to probably a very small overlap of the Venn diagram of people that are big Taylor Swift fans and trick-or-treating as adults or going to Halloween parties in the pandemic as adults. I don't think it was the most requested, although I bet it existed and I'm sure some people did it. I think this is another spin. I think this is a spin. This is. This is. A a spin. spin. Hey, stop it. Well, if Taylor Swift didn't win the copycat award, someone's got to. (laughs) Now I have a question. Yeah. If I told you that my next fact was the copycat award, how does that make you feel? (laughs) I should have seen it coming. I should have seen it coming. If it is. If you told me that, I would believe it, but. It sure is. Wow. The copycat award. (laughs) What's this one for? People copying her. What? Dressing up as her for Halloween? Yeah. (laughs) That would be wicked. What if, what if this fact was just about like people dressing up as Taylor Swift for Halloween and it was true, but after the cats one, it would be so confusing. Anyway, (laughs) how are people copying her this time? Well, you know, everybody loves to copy Taylor Swift, her hairstyle, her clothing style. I mean, she's like, she's a copyable person. A lot of people want to be like Taylor Swift. She's a copyable person? Yeah. You just call 14 time Grammy winner Taylor Swift a copyable person? (laughs) 
Where are my 14 Grammys? But what would you guess would be the number one thing people want to copy? The number one thing that people want to be like about Taylor Swift? Or, I mean, you talked about hair and clothes. like The number one like feature or trait that Taylor Swift has that people would want to emulate. Oh, man. Is it something like her songwriting? Honestly, closer than maybe you had any right to be. Oh. But it's still not that close. Oh, people want to copy. <laughs> if it's not that close, I don't know. It's just the word writing. Oh. Got, got close. Oh, do they want to copy her writing? Close. Okay. Warmer or colder? Warmer. Okay. They want to copy her right. We <laughs> keep shortening the words. Farther away. Oh, no. Handwriting? Closer. Foot writing. <laughs> Ew. They want to hold a pen. Like Taylor like Swift her. holds a pen? Yeah. I have to tell you, I mean, obviously, Antihero was just up for a lot of Grammys. I have recently been re-exposed to the Antihero music video, and I noticed how flipping unusually she holds a pen. <laughs> yeah, she holds it weird, doesn't she? Does that make you believe or not believe it more that there is so noticeable in that video? Just out of curiosity. Honestly, it's kind of helping your case. Okay, because sometimes when you're like, when it's something obvious like that, you make, you're like, oh, that'd be an easy thing to make a spin about. <laughs> uh, so I, I just was curious which way you were leaning this time. I'm leaning towards that helps you. Okay. Because I, I actually recently got served a post on social media somewhere from some account that I don't follow, but it was about how her handwriting is very similar to someone else's, the way that she holds a pen. They're like, it's the same as, I don't remember who. I don't even have the slightest guess at who it was, <laughs> but I saw it and I made note of it. And it's weird that it's coming back up. Why do people want to hold a pen like that? I mean, I hold pencils and pens also very incorrectly. So I'm right there with you, I guess. But it seems weird. And Well, first off, for people who don't know, I think it's good to clarify. She holds it between her index and middle finger. Right. Yeah. But then, like, has the rest of her hand normal behind it? And apparently, it's more comfortable. Is it? And you can write faster. Debatable, I guess. I can see that. I mean... And apparently, it's more ergonomic. Yeah. To think about it, like, when I hold a pen, I, I pinch it between my thumb and my first two fingers, you know, my index in my middle and when i write a lot of the writing is in my joints of my fingertips but when i would hold a pen i think between the middle and the index fingers that stops being an option i think and a lot of the writing i would be doing comes from the wrist at least just based on how i feel it sitting here at my desk right now for the first time <laughs> i guess i could see that being true so if people want to copy her and do that like, why don't they? It's the easiest thing about her to copy. I mean, they do. Oh, okay. Well, good. Great. There are like, I don't want to call it classes, but there's like a thing where you can like, you can like watch a tutorial on how to do it and then download like templates to like trace words that like are like her things that people have uploaded, like she's written so you can like practice writing in her style. Oh my gosh. Holding the pen the way she holds it. That's so intense. Yeah. Yeah, you can buy a Taylor Swift writing kit and learn to be just like Taylor Swift. That's so wild. At least in the hand. And you can have <laughs> hands just like Taylor Swift's. <laughs> I actually believe this one. You know what? I can't believe that the pen thing was so recently so relevant in my brain. And maybe that should make the alarm bells go off a little more. But, but it's not. It's not. I, again, people go wild over Taylor Swift. And I think if somebody out there could find a way to market a product like that, they do it. And I think if a fan found that product, they really like Taylor Swift, they buy it. And clearly, I mean, if I saw this post about how she holds a pen, like someone else, I mean, it's obviously something that people are thinking of. It's noticed, I guess, and being talked about. I, I'm just going to say it's a fact. I think this is a, a true fact. People like the way that she holds pens. This is... 
a spin. Oh, you copycatted the last copycat fact. It's not I true. No, she does hold it weird. And there are people who have tweeted about being like, "Oh, I wish I could write like that." And yada yada yada. But there's not like this big craze to like copy and. It's a spin. Everything I just said was true. Come on. It, it, well, hang on. It's based on there. Like, there's no like class or like yeah. templates you can buy to do it like it's not this You're big crazy. Just there's, so, there's there's a couple of twitter posts i found that were like oh i wish i could write like taylor swift and so i kind of came up with it off of this okay it's this whole thing here that i found it's like swifties admit admit the most unserious things they've done as taylor swift fans and so like one of them <laughs> was oh tried to learn to write like her and that's where i got that one from and then one was adopted a cat because it had the same fur pattern as taylor's cat that's a bit much they turned their chicken coop into the subway wall and got an internship that led to a full-time position because they put taylor swift under the interest portions of their resume wow i don't know if we talked about in the in the last episode but yeah definitely like actual journalistic like periodicals have hired people to be full-time taylor swift correspondents yeah also somebody bought a car because both times that they test drove it a song came on uh, the radio that was one of her songs and so they were like it must be a sign to buy this car if it was our song about riding shotgun with your hair undone in the front seat of its car i get it a lot of interesting things people have done but i thought the handwriting one was funny so it is but you see what i've done here i don't know if you've noticed taylor swift didn't win any awards no on this episode of spin it no she didn't you're right she's been snubbed from the spinnies this what? episode no she lost all of her factor spin awards yeah and you know that's, that's what she gets oh gosh <laughs> i'm gonna throw up <laughs> she stole album of the year from the rightful winner oh get over it <laughs> i could not let her win any more awards she has too many okay okay but I did, you know, pretty much everything in there except for the popcorn kernel one that I found was based on something true about Taylor Swift. So I hope you learned something. I did. I learned a lot. Yeah, I did. And we went 50-50 again. We can't escape Taylor Swift and we can't escape 50-50s. Yeah. This is our first repeat. And I don't I don't really think it counts counts because it was kind of forced upon us by the Grammy tradition, which probably should take precedence. Yeah. But anyway, Mixtaper, thanks for, as always, another great round of Factor Spin. We'll see you next week and we'll see you next Grammys. Go buy yourself flowers. Go hold your own hand. Go talk to yourself for hours. I have the gopher for that. He says things you don't understand. Yeah! All right. Welcome back, Connor. That was fun. Another round of Taylor Swift Factor Spin. We got 10 Taylor Swift facts on the podcast so far through Factor Spin. It's nuts. It is a lot. So let's talk about the album cover of Midnight's. Once again, going with that vintage aesthetic, people have very accurately, I think, compared the cover of Midnight's to covers on a lot of 70s vinyl records that we talk about, honestly, kind of frequently on this podcast, right down to the tracks on the left-hand side. It's minimalist. Yep. It's almost strikingly different from the rest of her discography and a lot of modern pop music. It's her face, it's an album title, and it's a track list. It's quite literally designed to get you to pick up the record, which is why it sells millions of copies of physical records. Yeah. Also... We talked about how she's got all these alternate versions of the record. The four different covers for the primary editions of the album all have numbers on the back. And when you put them together in a square, they turn into a clock face. So that's why everybody bought all four of the variants, because they wanted to, you know, double, triple, and quadruple dip to get them into the clock. Display them that way. Yeah. Huh. Oh, that's cool. It is cool. Well, the time has come. Let's talk about this album of the year. First of all, I want to ask. I don't know. I'm in a bit of a haze. A lavender haze? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, first of all, I want to ask, since Red, have you become more of a Swifty? I mean, you said you got her end of the year message on your Spotify. You always talk about your scores being based on how often you'll come back and re-listen to something, right? Has that held up? Have you gone back to any of the tracks that maybe didn't make our favorite songs playlist, especially the last time that you fought so hard for? I remember I already knew a lot of songs on Red. You did. What's the consequence of it being 10 years old? Yeah. Whereas this one was all new. Yeah. And so I tried not to let that bias play into anything, but... Sure. No guarantees. Yeah. So I guess she's one that you haven't really revisited much yet but again it's only been a couple of weeks no not really there's a couple of songs from this album that breached the the singles cone oh and made their way into my like i'd heard them before and went oh i didn't know that was on this album yeah because we mentioned back the first go at taylor swift you talked about how you listened to the country taylor swift in the old days yep but then you fell off right around 1989 i fell off a country music around the same time taylor swift did Uh, yeah and then i also subsequently fell off a taylor swift even though she wasn't country music anymore (laughs) right yeah i think you said 1989 was your last anything that you like you were checked out right before 1989 yeah so you haven't been in touch with her music for a long time so i'm really curious to get your thoughts about this one because it couldn't be much more different than some of her older stuff Mm -hmm. but yeah lavender haze is up first it's based on a 50s phrase describing that feeling of being in love allegedly she took it from an episode of mad men yeah a lot more color symbolism here in the first couple tracks i mean from red to lavender to maroon it's true she loves the colors you know lavender haze generally as a concept is about being in love but more acutely for the song It's about her struggles to keep her relationships private and out of the public eye since she's always under such close scrutiny. Everybody's always asking and has an opinion. Everybody always wants to take her picture and she has to say, that's what you get. (laughs) When the song was written, of course, it was in reference to her six-year relationship with Joe Alwyn, a thing of the past. This was one that I'd heard before listening. Really? You had? Uh-huh. This the chorus. I don't know where I'd heard the chorus, but I'd heard the chorus. What'd you think? What, what did I think? I mean, yeah, it's a good song. Good. What do you think about the poppier style? I mean, poppier even, obviously, than Red. Eh. Yeah. Okay. I could see it being popular in the pop scene. I could see it being a good club song with like mm. a bunch of, I don't know, just like a bunch of flashing lights and people dancing and like some weird like smoke machine stuff. So, okay. Lavender smoke machines, maybe. Yeah. One problem I've always had with Taylor Swift, and I maybe even brought it up on the last episode. Odds are good. Is I'm not the biggest fan of her wispy high range. Oh, well, you're in for an album then. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like it when she's in that lower register where she's got a fuller sound to her voice. Well, like, what's an example of that? So, like, when she hits the word haze, right? That's, like, an upper. Oh, well, yeah. And she gets that, like, that it gets airy. Yeah. Right? You can hear a lot of air in the word. Whereas, even on Maroon, not that I'm ready to move on necessarily if you're not, but, like, she's got a, a higher register just naturally. But she doesn't go so high that it gets airy. There's still support under her under her sound. Yeah. Like, when she's singing. Like when she's saying, like, the burgundy on my shirt splashed your wine or whatever that line is. Yeah. It doesn't sound like she's out of breath. No. Like, I hate it when it sounds like like she's out of breath half the time when she's singing in that stratosphere area. Well, I think that's kind of the point, though, is that it's hazy, it's airy, and it takes your breath away when you're in the lavender haze. And I get that. I get that. And that's 
why I think it kind of works for this song, which was the next thing I was going to say. I think it kind of works for this song. But in general, that's one thing that she did sometimes in some of her country stuff, too, that I just was like, no, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) And so to see it pop up immediately on track one, I was like, here we go. But I think it kind of worked on this one. I think so, too. Because of the instruments and the vibe and the club vibe. Like, it's the kind of thing. It it fit this vibe. But on certain songs, it did not do it for me. Yeah. I think Lavender Haze is interesting because, I mean, particularly even on the tracks on Midnight's, I don't think it fits quite neatly into any box that she's ever tried to check before. It's kind of its own new thing. So I think because of that, it, it opens the album really nicely. You're curious. You're like, oh, this is Taylor Swift? Like, what what's she doing now? Like, what's this? Yeah, it did feel interesting. There's a lot of cursing on this album. Yes. Which Red had none. Again, maybe has been her thing for a while. Uh, who knows? I've been I've been away from Taylor Swift for a while, so this maybe isn't news to anybody. But to me, I was like, oh wow. Uh, it was it's recent. <laughs> I mean, I think the first time she really like dropped an f bomb was on Folklore, if I remember right. So I mean, we're only like two or three albums into Cussin Taylor era. <laughs> If you want to call it that. I did see people have made compilation videos where they've just cut out all the times that she's sworn and put them back to back to back to back stitched together. (laughs) And it's not very long, but it's very funny. Yeah, it does happen a lot more on Midnight's. Now that you mention it. Yeah. And like in a jarring way that like every time it happened, I was like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. I think she's trying to shed a lot of the the earlier preconceptions about how she wouldn't do that. I don't think she also, I mean, she doesn't just do it superfluously. She doesn't just say it to say it. I think everything she's very intentional about. No, she's not just throwing them every other line. Yeah, there's reasons. Yep. Well, Lavender Haze was a hit. You know, it peaked at number two in Australia, Canada, Ireland, New Zealand, and the United States. And the only reason it peaked at number two is because she got in her own way (laughs) since the entire top 10 was full of her. It also spent a total of 29 weeks on the charts. So that's pretty huge. So Lavender Haze was kind of a mixed bag for you. I I get that. Uh Uh-huh. What about Maroon? I mean, you kind of already touched on it. No, no, no. Lavender Haze. I I liked Lavender Haze. Like I said, it worked on that one. Oh, it's just the vocal then that was a little iffy. But it worked. Yeah, and and I just wanted to bring it up now because it was prevalent. And and it was one of the first things I noticed. But I think it worked on that song. It just doesn't later. And I didn't want to only bring it up later. And then you'd be like, but what about Lavender Haze? You liked that one. Yeah. Well, what about Maroon, though? Is it, I mean, an improvement? Her voice is definitely not wispy. Vocally, yeah. I like the the concept. This is like such a moody. I mean, I, I guess it's called Midnight. So I don't know what else you would expect, but it's very moody. Totally. I think Maroon is really, really strong lyrically. The color symbolism, again, I love it. We talked about a love that's burning red. You know, loving him is red and missing him is blue. And like we've dabbled in that. But this time... You know, it's not about a burning love. It's about this haunting memory that's lingering after a relationship has ended and it's a lot more faded and, like, deep. And I just like the the change to Maroon, which is honestly apt from episode to episode for us. So I love it lyrically and thematically. It's a ballad. You know me. I'm a big fan of ballads. Yeah, I do. I do know that. Uh, the chorus is good, but I didn't care for the verses as much. Yeah. I think Maroon... Forgive me. Forgive me, Swifties. I think Maroon's a little boring melodically yeah i think it uh, the chorus is really good but yeah well it's got some cool rhythms the verse does nothing to like keep you interested between choruses no the chorus is okay because we get some different notes and we get a little bit of like pause in her phrases it's neat it's broken up yep and it picks up a little bit speed wise for the chorus 
verses. Yeah, but the verses just drone on that one note so much. And I gotta, I can't often fault Jack Antonoff's production, but here, there's just this droning kind of buzz. There is, yep. And I guess it serves a purpose thematically, like this person's memory is still on your mind, just a constant, constant presence in your life, even though they're gone. So it's like that ringing kind of feeling. I just don't like hearing it. (laughs) I don't know. It's one of my least favorite songs on the album and i kind of resent how popular it is it's very popular because i would put it so much lower than i think the general populace has and it's all a matter of personal preference i'm not yucking your yum just you know lyrically great musically i sure wish it was a little different maroon debuted at number three in the united states and picked up 37.6 million streams in its first week almost like this very podcast huh if only. <laughs> One of these days. Maybe the Swifties can take us to the moon like Cruel Summer. Yes, Swifties, help us. <laughs> Up next is the biggie, though. The, I mean, I guess Grammy loser a couple times, but Antihero is next. Yeah. The big prevalent single. Big song. Big song. Again, I cannot believe it lost all its nominations. Yeah, I mean, people liked Flowers better. I guess so. So, is Antihero one that breached your connor barrier oh yeah i thought so so not a first time listening to this song what what do you think can you remember the first time you heard it mm, no okay <laughs> i think it probably just came on shuffle on spotify so i was like hey you like taylor swift it's like you're the biggest swifty out there have this and i had it yes so you did i think it's a good song i can understand why it's the most popular well probably well, i guess second most popular according to the spotify plays isn't it no is it no no most popular you're right never mind by far yeah. <laughs> Second most popular according to Grammy voters. It has the classic Taylor sounding chorus, I think. Yes. The, the first two were very different for her sound, mm-hmm. at least from what I've known of it. You're right. And this was the first one I was like, yeah, this gives me like Taylor vibes as she was exiting country and going into pop. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Lavender Haze is a little experimental. Maroon is a little... Like, you you know, we didn't start the fire. How Billy Joel wrote all the lyrics first and then tried to make a melody and it was the one note kind of thing of we didn't start the fire. That's what Maroon feels like. Yeah. Antihero does feel like a proper, fully fleshed out, familiar but brand new Taylor Swift song. And I like that. Yeah. I had only one lyrical change I would have made. Is it? What is it? No, go ahead. I want you to guess first. I'm just going to see if you pick the one line that everybody talked about when it came out. I don't know. What is it? The line that everybody was absolutely thrown for a loop by when the song first came out was sometimes I feel like everybody is a sexy baby and I'm a monster on the hill. So I did write that down as what the heck does that mean? But that's not the one I would change. Okay, okay. (laughs) Yeah, apparently that's an allusion to like 30 Rock or something. I don't know. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I heard that line and went, interesting, I guess, monsters on hills like sexy babies. I don't know. That's what everyone thought too. (laughs) Yeah, I think the, the meaning behind it, the point of it is supposed to be that everybody is so like superficial, you know, glamorous and caught up and involved in everything. And she isn't bought into that. And so she comes, you know, lurching towards the city, but not fitting into it, being Mm. out of place there and destructive because she's not a part of the in crowd. You know what I mean? Yeah, for me, I think this has been my favorite lyrical song so far. There's a lot of really good lyrics in here. Okay. I have this thing where I get older, but just never wiser. Great line right off the bat. Mm -hmm. When my depression works, the graveyard shift. That's a relatable one. Yeah, but what would you change? It's in the chorus. It's a bit nitpicky. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. Yeah, it's me. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. No way. It's me. I was never going to guess that. Which part of that do you think I'm not happy with? 
it's the fact that it goes, it's me so much. Like, like change the second it's me to something else. No, she does. Or, you know, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. I seem. No. It seems. I don't know. That they all, no. 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 It goes, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Every time. I don't like that it's. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Like you just said, it's me. You didn't need to say it's me again. Say like, I don't know. There's gonna be something that you could have done. I'm thinking of at tea time. Everybody agrees. It does change. Oh well, that no, but no, no, that no. That's the next line. I'm mad because it goes. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. And then at tea time, it it goes. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. I don't like that. It's she says it's me to end that phrase again because she started the phrase with it's me. I think it's, <laughs> but it reemphasizes that. It's the whole point is that she repeats it. I, it's, I don't like. That, no, I don't like that. There's no need to repeat it. That's not the whole point. Totally. It's the most iconic part of the song. Yeah, I agree. It's the most like catchy part of the song. It absolutely is. I just think nitpicking, you could have said it seems or yeah. something else that kind of rhymed with me there. To, that it would have had the exact same impact. It would have conveyed the exact same thing, but it wouldn't have just said the word it's me five words after they already said the words it's me. It's a bit nitpicky. It is. I, I think it's the catchiest part of the song. It is. I like it. Everybody sings along to it. I do too. Everyone does. I just think, especially when you get to the part where over and over and over she's just saying it's me hi i'm the problem it's me like four times in a row it's like that's a lot of it's me's i guess <laughs> you really it's where it really gets highlighted uh the problem like you could look past it if it just happened once a chorus but then she really doubles down on a lot of it's me i got a bit mario vibes like she was the letter a away from having a mario moment yeah <laughs> Which now, as I'm thinking about it, I really just want a cover of this song sung like in a Mario voice where it's a me. Hi, I'm the plumber. It's a me. I want a <laughs> mixtape recover of this song where he says, hey, it's me. Hi, I'm the dastard. It's me. Oh, hey, it's me. <laughs> yeah, it's me. Hey, I'm the dastard. It's me. It'd be great. Oh, you're right, though. The chorus kind of says it all. She's the problem. It's her. She's in her own head. She considers whether this whole world is against her and if she's the one to blame. She goes into this hypothetical situation of the daughter-in-law killing her for the money. Yeah. Which I guess means the corn in the well worked and she got a husband. <laughs> it's fun. Just the whole thing is this kind of commentary about how when you're rich and famous, you never really know who you can trust or be comfortable around. Yeah. She's called it one of the most honest songs she's ever written. But to that end, too, I feel like our insight's kind of limited. She said, I really don't think I've delved this far into my insecurities in this detail before. I struggle with the idea that my life has become unmanageably sized which is probably an understatement even still but she said uh not to sound too dark but i just struggle with the idea of not feeling like a person this song is a real guided tour throughout all the things i tend to hate about myself and it's all those aspects of the things we dislike and like about ourselves that we have to come to terms with if we're going to be this person so she said it's a really honest song it's definitely one of my favorites but i think it took time to grow it was uh not a first listen hit for me, but by now, obviously it is. In the first 24 hours that Antihero was released, it got 17.4 million streams, making it the biggest opening day for a song on Spotify ever. And of course, this is the number one song that kept Lavender Haze from the title. It also apparently, and unsurprisingly, has been her biggest radio hit since Reputation's Delicate. So actually, according to the Spotify plays, Lavender Haze isn't the second most popular. Karma takes that for the Spotify plays, which surprised me. Yeah. Because I would have thought it was Lavender Haze. And then no. it was by 20... By 20 million plays. It doesn't surprise me. Karma karma takes it. Karma's good. Yeah, no, Karma's good. I just, you know, I heard a lot of things about Lavender Haze, so I thought it was going to be number two. Yeah. And then when I pulled up the album and it wasn't, I was like, oh. Right. A surprise. A shocker. Now, Mr. 
problems with breathy vocals but loves the ballads guy how'd you feel about snow on the beach featuring lana del rey it's weird but beautiful lana del rey does great yeah i'm trying to stay positive oh gosh <laughs> lana del rey does do great and people agree with you but also it came out and everybody listened to the song and was like where's lana del rey like like where is she yeah <laughs> she's here and like they just couldn't find her, her their voices are kind of similar especially just she's quiet and soft and so gentle here that she is a little hard to pick out uh-huh so on later editions of this album that you actually went and listened to and we'll talk about a little bit at the end taylor went back and redid snow on the beach featuring more lana del rey which is hilarious <laughs> and it's also very good which version did you like better if you could spoil it now did you like lana del rey or more lana del rey better oh obviously more lana del rey of course can't go wrong snow on the beach this is an example of one that didn't do it for me with the wispies or the huh oh i didn't care oh. for that either. It's, that is a choice that is a bit of a choice i think the gentleness of it the wispiness of it is like snow on a beach i like the song i get the lyrics are good taylor's very good at writing lyrics it's true uh, great songwriter from that regard i just the stylistic choices she makes for certain things just aren't my cup of tea unfortunately mm. snow on the beach is all about how rare and strange it is for two people to fall in love at the same time and in the same way it's like snow on the beach hard to find and strange what are you doing here snow this isn't your thing no this is sand territory what is sand but rock snow oh i'm just kidding don't go down that rabbit hole nope Taylor said that the song happens in this cataclysmic faded moment where you realize someone feels exactly the same way that you feel at the same moment. And you're kind of looking around going, wait, is this real? Is it a dream? You know, I don't know if I've ever actually seen snow on the beach. There are like a lot of beaches that get snow. You absolutely have. Have I? Yeah. Because sand is just rock snow. So All right. Go to okay. the beach, there's... <laughs> snow on the Beach got to number four on the Billboard Hot 100 in the U.S., which actually made it Lana Del Rey's highest charting song, which is wild. I can't believe that she hasn't charted higher than that. I mean, she was up for Grammys this year in her own right. I thought she would have surpassed number four. The one about this that gets me is how often they say snow at the beach. I didn't realize it until like today when I was getting ready for this episode. But so many of these snow on the beaches are snow at the beach. Ew. I know. It's not all of them. It's just some of them. And I wonder why they did that. I wonder what the distinction is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. One of my sleeper favorite songs on the whole album is You're On Your Own Kid. And you always have been. Definitely a step up from Snow on the Beach for me, especially in the lyrics department. You're On Your Own Kid is all about someone who thought they were in love, only to realize that it slipped right out from under them. And I mean, holy cow. It's one of the best pre-choruses on the entire album because it builds so big, so fast with this real intensity to it. Underneath lyrics like from sprinkler splashes to fireplace ashes, I waited ages to see you there. It's exceptional. You're on your own kid. Just awesome. Maybe a playlist pick, but who's to say? I mean, you are. I am to say that's true, but we'll get there. I'm not to say yet because I don't even know for sure yet. Oh, he doesn't know. Yeah. You're on your own kid ended up at number eight on the Hot 100, which feels grossly unfair because again, there are so many more than eight tracks that I would I would put this higher than eight on the album. Sure. What'd you think? Did you like it too, or am I on my own, kid? Again, this was a more uh, what I expected from Taylor Swift. Yeah, very much so. This one could have been on Red. Yeah. Shoot, we even talked about on Red, one of the songs that had a giant bridge like that, too. I just like the way it's kind of minimally produced until you get to the build. Yeah, I liked it. It didn't try to be more than it needed to be. No, it didn't. I get a feeling that you're about to say something exactly the opposite of that when we get to Midnight Rain. 
What makes you think that? Well, first of all, Midnight Rain is a jarring start. And you're not known to be one that loves messing around with vocals. I love a good jar. Okay. That's where I keep the best pickled eggs. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but am I wrong, though? Is Midnight Rain a, a sneaky winner for you? I feel like it wouldn't be. You never like modulated vocals. Don't put me in a cage. You rarely like modulated vocals. Full offenses or pageant queens or pretenders. Apologies. I wanted a comfortable... You want that pain. But no, yeah, no. Uh, this one didn't do it for me. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Yeah, it did it for a lot of other people. It had so much potential. Where'd it miss? I really liked that it came like a postcard picture perfect shiny family holiday paramedic. Like the that verse bit, like that faster lyric, da 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 Like that's good. And the music under it, there's some cool stuff that happens yeah. instrumentally there. It's the chorus, isn't it? It's the chorus. Wow. Completely just swept it out. That's kind of sad. I mean, this is the song that gives us the title track. It's not the only one that gives us the title track. No, it's not. The first song starts with, like, Meet Me at Midnight. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, I like Midnight Rain a lot. And the more I think about it, the more I kind of like it, actually. First of all, I don't have any problem with the vocal modulation. I think it's kind of fun. It's a choice. It's a risk, but I think it's a rewarding risk. It gives this song a really unique style that no other song on this album really touches much. I also think it's very steeped in this metaphor, right? It's about a speaker who left a lover to pursue her career. He wanted a bride. I was making my own name, chasing that fame. And I love this kind of duality that we get presented with. He was sunshine. I was midnight rain. We're totally, fundamentally opposite and incompatible but we're both good in our own way right rain means no sun midnight means no sun put them together you're just as far from the sun as you can get and i really love that that's the way she chooses to kind of double up on sunless times and like really hammer home the metaphor it's cool and even if you didn't like it at least you don't have to listen to it long it's the second shortest track on the album i think true the vocal modulation on midnight rain i think kind of preps us for it in a smaller quantity at the beginning of question sure in moderation like question I can tolerate it in moderation. Yeah. Well, it's a self-sample at the beginning, actually, when she says, I remember, that's interpolated from Out of the Woods from 1989. It's a nice little reference, nice little callback. And I think they modulate it just to hammer home kind of that element of it being from the past. I like Question. I like the kind of pulse that it's got. I like that it's kind of low-key but speedy. This whole album, for the most part, has had interesting pulses. Yeah, it has. I don't know why, and I think it's maybe just because the first song was called Lavender Haze, but this whole album has felt like a weird, slow-moving mosh pit. Oh, interesting. This is going to be so weird, but it's like a whole weird mosh pit of like mellowed out people just kind of swaying and bobbing their heads uh, in like a hazy like like rave underground somewhere. Sure, I guess. I think what that is, I think what she's going for and what you're getting at kind of in a tangential sense is like it's that feeling when you've just been awake for too long, right? You're kind of tired and you're just out of your it. brain is going on all these things. And there's this fog, this brain fog that's happening. And I think, yeah. And I think that happens at like, right. You know, like eventually at the point where, you know, you spent the last four hours just jumping up and down, doing drugs, having, <laughs> having the party of your life. Okay. And then all of a sudden you just gotta like, your brain just shuts off and you're just kind of swaying to the music. And that's the mental image. Sure. I think Lavender Hayes 
probably is less of a cause of why you feel that way and more of the reason that she put Lavender Haze there and made it the way that it is is because the rest of the album is like this. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's probably, you know, cause and effect. Who knows? But I really do like Question. As a single, it entered the charts at number seven. It earned 31 million streams in one week. Absurd. All these songs have done absurd numbers is what I'm kind of getting at. And this song really does ask all the questions. You know, talking to a love where something went wrong. Could we have saved it? How could we have saved it? What went wrong? Do you like her? Did you ever have someone kiss you in a crowded room and every single one of your friends was making fun of you, but 15 seconds later they were clapping too? Really simple, you know, just basic questions you'd ask any ex. I think it's a fun song. I mean, not fun in a subject sense, but fun to listen to? Absolutely. It's one that I could come back to anytime. Throw it on shuffle on any of my playlists and I would not mind. If you want to talk about a song I think that's a holdover from the Reputation era is Vigilante, which is what it's called on like censored clean versions of the album. Hmm. They dropped the poop word. Yeah. What'd you think? Is this, obviously, you're someone who didn't experience the Reputation era when it happened, right? You bowed out before it. Nope. And so maybe you got some taste of it through like, look what you made me do or whatever. How'd this one land for you in the middle of this album that's been very unlike Vigilante? It just, yeah, this one felt abrupt. It does. It felt out of place. Kind of. I kind of agree with that, yeah. I'll be honest. I, this could just be, it's not my style of music. But, like, all of these songs have been okay. There hasn't necessarily been, like, a bad song, you know? Yeah. But other than ones like Anti-Hero, and, like, we'll get to maybe one or two more as we get in here. There's not been a lot of, like, standout. Like, like for Taylor Swift, right? When you're, I'm naming, like, iconic Taylor Swift songs, even ones that, like, I ha- were after my time, but I know them because they're that iconic. Yeah. There's not a lot on this album that's anywhere near those no i mean look what we went through on red right just run down the track list this is pretty mediocre for taylor swift i don't want to overplay my hand too much for final spin but i i even said it on the last taylor swift episode i think midnight's is a little bit of like a, a middle of the road taylor swift album i don't think it's her worst by any stretch but i don't think it's her best and that's part of why i'm a little disappointed at one well again though a bad taylor swift album is better than a lot of other people's good albums no and i agree i just i think there was a lot of good albums nominated that I mean, I haven't listened to necessarily those albums, but I have a suspicion that as we do other albums that were nominated this year, like we did this past year, you know, we hit some of the other ones naturally. And we will. Yeah. I have a suspicion I'm going to end up liking and scoring them higher than I'm going to score this. Interesting. We'll have to see how that plays out. You're probably right. That didn't really happen with the previous when I usually, a lot of the times I typically tend to agree. Yeah with the choice but i think this is gonna be the time i didn't i I don't agree and it's not just because i wanted like miley cyrus the winner you know i'm a big miley cyrus fan but like i just i feel like i'm gonna like like uh, we're not gonna go back to john batiste necessarily but i wish like scissor i have a feeling when we get to scissor i'm gonna like that one more than i like this one and like that's closer to rap yes (laughs) you know yeah (laughs) typically my least ranked genre you know there's just there's other ones that i think i'm gonna like more than this and I think the fan, I mean, Taylor Swift said it in her acceptance speech that a lot of the reason that she won this was because of the passion of the fandom. Yeah. You know, which implies it's not necessarily because of the album. <laughs> well, I guess it implies that, but not not necessarily, but. I'm just saying. I think if you release this exact same album under anybody else's name, it does not perform anywhere near as well. Maybe not. Part of that could just be because Taylor Swift performs it so well. I mean, Taylor Swift performs these songs very well. Don't get me wrong. But 
you know, you find me somebody who could perform these adequately enough compared to Taylor's version, and I don't think it performs nearly as well. Like, if Miley releases this album, she loses the Grammy again. Yeah, yeah, give me somebody comparable to Taylor Swift and have them keep the instruments, keep these, have them record the lyrics and the vocals and replace Taylor's vocals and then release it under their name, and I don't even think it gets nominated, I'll be honest. You might be right, who knows? That's just my opinion. Wow. Yeah, who's to say? It's a fun thought experiment. We'll see how it all shakes down. But yeah, Vigilante, it's fine. It is a little bit of a, a reputation era holdover. It's the only song on Midnight's Taylor wrote completely by herself. And on its debut, it earned the seventh most streams from Midnight's with 11.8 million. Feels criminal. Feels wrong. It's also been certified platinum in Australia, gold in Canada, silver in the UK. Nothing stateside yet, but I'm sure that could happen. To me, Vigilante reminds me a lot of Nobody, No Crime a song that you probably don't know. But in both cases, she kind of walks us through this fiction or fantasy where she goes and takes revenge on somebody who's been, you know, doing bad things. In this case, it's an ex who is really mean to her, really nasty, and she does so by letting his current wife in on the plot. So they collaborate, they scheme, and they sell him out to the FBI for white-collar crimes. Get him safely put behind bars like vigilantes. People have speculated that it's kind of an allusion either to her very public disputes with Kanye West Take Notes and Scooter Braun, but she never talks about, you know, who she writes these songs about specifically. So we probably won't ever really know. It's all right. It's ranking in the Spotify plays... The only one I'm upset about is Mastermind. I'm sad that Mastermind is beneath Vigilante, but otherwise, yeah, that's about right. But how about Bejeweled? We're straight back into the sugary pop world. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of the chorus of Bejeweled. Best believe I'm still Bejeweled. Totally. The chorus is the best part of the song. The song started off a little bumpy. Really? But but when we got to that chorus, it made up for it. Yeah, there's a couple weird vocal rhythms at the very beginning that had me going interesting. Oh, like in We Danced All Night, like she crams a lot of syllables into one little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I really like Bejeweled a lot. It was such a memorable moment of the Eras Tour. I liked it a lot. Bejeweled peaked at number eight on the Billboard Global 200. Debuted at number six in the U.S. with 35.5 million streams. Taylor directed Bejeweled's music video herself. It features cameos from Haim and other notable names like producer of the year Jack Antonoff, uh, actress Laura Dern, queen of burlesque Dita Von Teese, and many, many more. And it's a very, like, Cinderella-type story, which obviously is very thematically fitting as Cinderella gets magically bejeweled and polishes up real nice to go to the ball. I really like the flash and the glitz and the glam of Bejeweled. It kind of stands alone on this album, just in the way that it's produced. I think Jack Antonoff gets a lot of my credit for Bejeweled. He really makes this song sound like something special. He makes the whole place shimmer, and so does Taylor. <laughs> but really, just listen to the synths. Listen to the way it just gleams. It's kind of, to this album, what Delicate is to Reputation for me. Interesting. Yeah. It's about how even though she's ventured into other styles and other genres, you know, she's kind of traveled here and there, but she's still able to make the whole place shimmer. She's still got it. Still one of the biggest pop stars in the world. People have also kind of put out there that it could be another subtle jab at Scooter Braun. Again, you know, clearly she's still bejeweled with the overwhelming success of her newer records and the Taylor's versions. So she's still winning in that regard too. I like Bejeweled. Diamond's Gotta Shine. One of my least favorite songs on the album. Maybe it's a hot take, but I don't think it is. Looking at the Spotify plays. Labyrinth. No, it's definitely a low point. Yeah, but I think it's honestly good album ordering that we've put this low point in between Bejeweled and Karma like we have. I agree. Because it's surrounded by 
higher points. Smart. Labyrinth, first and foremost, taught me that I really frequently screw up the spelling of the word labyrinth unless I type it very carefully. I can't put the Y in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a tough one. It's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. I've never really thought about it, but... Do you usually want to go lab R-Y-N-T-H? Yeah, I just want to skip the I. Yeah. Maybe if I wrote with my pen in between my other fingers, I'd do it better. Maybe. Labyrinth conceptually is fine you know as strong as ever it's about the complications of navigating a new relationship in the context of it being like a labyrinth there's lots of unknowns and blind corners and it's unfamiliar maybe disorienting there's a lot to learn and get acclimated to when you start to dig deep into a relationship with a new person for the first time so i like the labyrinth metaphor i like the idea oh no i'm falling in love again it's scary it's it's strange but i just don't i don't think the song itself the way it's produced and the way it sounds does too much for me it is vast though echoey and large critics have called labyrinth a stealth classic because it'll probably have some strong staying power they think despite missing a lot of the hallmarks of an obvious hit I don't know if it will, but, you know, nevertheless, it ended up at number 12 on the Global 200, 14 in the U.S., and I don't dislike it. I just like it less than everything else here. No, I, I kind of dislike it. Oh, okay. It's got some modulated vocals. It's a low point. It's just probably least favorite track. Oh, fair enough. Okay, but, I mean, did you like Karma? Oh, yeah. Oh, That's yeah. That's the other one that broke the Connor bubble. Yeah? You knew this one earlier. Yeah. Karma's a big standout, a huge hit. I mean, they've all been huge hits, but Karma especially was a huge hit like it was the one that she used to close the concert level huge hit i'll be honest be honest i'll be honest karma and anti-hero really set some expectations for what the rest of the album was going to be and it did not match whoa <laughs> did any tracks come close to matching it did you find any new like semi-favorites uh yeah i mean i got my top three yeah well, yeah of course yeah. i'm just saying i expected the album to sound more like karma and anti-hero and the majority of the album is more like maroon and lavender haze totally totally and i love maroon and lavender haze they're way more emblematic of this record yeah but i think the fact that freaking karma and anti-hero are the two most popular songs point to the fact that the rest of the album should have been more like them the people's champion <laughs> ladies and gentlemen i mean if the rest of the album was more like them maybe it would have won album of the year yeah maybe it would have won my vote for album of the year <laughs> yeah i like karma a lot karma was midnight's third single yeah karma's very good <laughs> That's funny. That's because kind of what the whole point of the song is. Karma's really good for her. Yeah. Karma was actually the only song to get just a straight up remix new version, unless you count more Lana Del Rey as a remix. But this one got the Ice Spice remix. Yeah. Yeah. Karma peaked at number six globally, number two in the United States. Karma's all about how what goes around comes around. Not just like what karma is. The song karma is also all about that. She's saying that she's put a lot of good out into the world and now she's reaping the benefits, getting a lot of the good right back. Me and karma vibe like that. She said one of the themes about midnights is how you're feeling in the middle of the night. And that could be intense. Self-hatred, intense self-love. You go through these very polarizing emotions when you're up late at night and your brain just spirals. It can spiral downward and it can spiral way up and you can really be feeling yourself. And karma is written from a perspective of feeling really happy, really proud of the way your life is, feeling like this must be a reward for doing stuff right. It's a song that I really love because I think we all need some of those moments. We can't just be beating ourselves up all the time. You have to have these moments where you're like, you know what? Karma is my boyfriend and that's it. What is your favorite depiction of what karma is? Uh, I think it's the line, sweet like honey, karma is a cat. 
<laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard a cat described as sweet like honey. No, cats are usually not super sweet. <laughs> but this one is, it's purring in her lap because it loves her. Yeah, so I guess that's sweet like honey. I like flexing like an acrobat. Yeah, yeah. Karma's really showing off, you know? Karma's doing flips. That's cool. It's true. Uh, Karma's on your scent like a bounty hunter is a funny line, too. Dude, it's chasing you down. What do you feel about this line? Spider Boy, King of Thieves, weave your little webs of opacity. How do you feel about opacity? Real, I love opacity, and it's fine. I like it. You don't see opacity a lot uh, as a word? Actually, all I see is opacity. Everything that's not opaque, I can see right through. Whoa. <laughs> I really like Karma's a relaxing thought. Aren't you envious that for you it's not? Like, I can chill out and embrace karma because I've done good. For you, you got to stress out about karma because it's bad for you. That's such a cool line, such a nice little twist. Yeah. And people have often just misunderstood what she's saying. So I've heard a lot of, you know, like misheard lyrics about aren't you envious that for you it's not. That's fun. I also think it's cool because karma is obviously like a big theme on reputation too. So it's another moment that kind of ties these albums together in this overarching story of her career. That's cool. What did you think? This version of the Ice Spice version? Not as good. The Ice Spice version wasn't as good? Mm-hmm. I actually kind of agree. I have never listened to Ice Spice. Just to clarify, I only know Ice Spice from the few times I've listened to the Karma remix. I feel like it's just missing something. Yeah, I don't know. I just I was such a big fan of the original. Yeah. When I got to that, I was like, no. Yeah, it just feels different. I don't know. She should release another version. With more Ice Spice? Of this album. No. <laughs> with more Lana Del Rey on every single track. That'd be awesome. <laughs> she just adds her into every single. But still singing Snow <laughs> on the Beach. Oh. Just hide her in there like a Where's Waldo. <laughs> the remix of Karma with Ice Spice was Taylor's first time working with a female rapper. And honestly, I think maybe her second time working with any rapper. She did a version of Blank Space with Kendrick. And a Taylor's version of Blank Space with Kendrick. She is known to have feuds with rappers, so. Well, really just the one. Really just Kanye. <laughs> but it's fine. The collaboration came about after Ice Spice and Taylor Swift met at the iHeartRadio Music Awards in 2023. The awards happened in March, and by May, they announced the remix. Oh, nice. It came together very quickly. And, of course, as is fresh on all our minds, it was nominated for Best Pop Duo or Group Performance at the Grammys, but... Did not win. Lost out to SZA and collab queen Phoebe Bridgers. Ghost in the Machine. Machine. Karma's a great one. I also really, really love Sweet Nothing. I think this is a sleeper hit. hit. I like the instruments on Sweet Nothing. Yeah, I like the rhythm because it's like fast, but laid back in its production. So it's soft and gentle, even though yeah. the tempo is going like pretty hard. Yeah, the vocals going pretty fast and the instruments are going like halftime to what the vocals are doing. Yeah, and I really love just the way the words kind of tumble. Do, 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 do. Uh -huh. Like they just fall and flow. Yeah, and she's done some, she's been doing a lot of fast vocal stuff on this album, but I don't think it's always necessarily landed the way it lands here on Sweet Nothing. Yeah, I think it's a really cool stylistic departure, but I think we also have to boo this one a little tiny bit because it's co-written by your now ex, longtime boyfriend Joe Alwyn under the pseudonym William Bowery. They actually worked together and co-wrote two tracks on Folklore and three on Evermore. I don't expect them to collaborate on any more going forward, <laughs> but who knows? Also, one of the umpteenth special lavender editions of the album has a special piano mix of Sweet Nothing, which I bet is really good, but I don't know because I don't know where the heck I can find any of the lavender editions of the album. <laughs> I like Sweet Nothing. It's got horns in it. That's a twist. That's a change. Yeah, that's part of why I really like it. 
thought so. I I started off by saying I like the instrumentals, and I was waiting on you to be like, oh well, of course, because there's horns. Of course, <laughs> yeah. The song features instrumental contributions from Evan Smith, who plays the horns, like the saxophone, the organ, the flute, and the clarinet. Plays a lot, and I it's just critics also really love the same stuff we're talking about. You know, the production and the bedroom pop aesthetics. It's really nice. It peaked at number fourteen on the global two hundred, and at the same number in the United States. And I really just love it conceptually. It's so sweet. It's about having somebody to lean on and to depend on in the chaos of life. They're always there to keep you grounded and calm and support you when things go off the rails and they do it without expecting anything in return. They expect sweet nothing. So they're this nice escape from the pressures of a very high visibility public life. Also, she has an outright said, because she does an outright say, but at one point she likes some tweets that led people to believe this might be inspired by Paul McCartney and his first wife, Linda. Oh, wow. I think it's a really cool way to almost end the album. The wheels are coming down. We're about ready to hit the runway. We're gently coasting to the end. And then we end the standard edition with Mastermind. Have you seen the 2017 movie Phantom Thread? No. Okay. Well, if you had, you'd probably be like, wow, this song sounds like it might have been inspired by the 2017 movie Phantom Thread because Mastermind was inspired by the 2017 movie Phantom Thread. Weird, because I had that exact thought even though I haven't seen it. Oh, really? (laughs) No, what? Oh. Calm down. Well, you could have known what the- It was an obvious dumb joke. No, but you could have known what the movie was about without having seen it. Oh, uh, no, I was just making a dumb joke about- Okay. Well, you really masterminded that one. Yeah, I'm the mastermind. Whenever I hear mastermind, I think of the Scooby-Doo Night of 100 Frights video game. Oh, interesting. It makes me think of Megamind, even though I've never seen it. And it's not even the same word. No, it's not. But it's a compound word wherein the second half is mind. I like the song, though. It's all about how the speaker thinks that she's orchestrated every single element of this relationship from their first meeting up until they were together, like kind of like a puppet master pulling strings, setting up dominoes to knock down. Yeah. Honestly, a bit problematic is it not being kind of that manipulative <laughs> yeah maybe maybe people have kind of accused her of this sort of thing publicly before maybe not in a relationship context but like like i just said people talked about her manipulating consumers or mm. just teasing things so that people can get excited and generate hype and whatever she says that it's something that's been thrown at me like a dagger but now i take it as a compliment and so maybe in real life sometimes it could be not so great but in the context of the song it ends up being cute because the sweet little twist at the end is this guy's known the whole time and he's been on to her since the beginning. So he's like, let himself be. Yeah, that doesn't make it any less problematic on her end. No, maybe not. She was still trying to manipulate him, even if it was not working. Yeah, <laughs> it's also a little bit of a head nod to all the actual teasers and references and Easter eggs that it seems like she hides in virtually everything she does. Either she hides them on purpose or these eagle-eyed and conspiracy-minded fans just end up finding connections like Paul is dead. They just pick everything apart until there's a clue there. Taylor said, Mastermind is a song that I put last on the album because I'm really proud of it. And I love when we were making this song, we wanted the verse to sound like a romance and this sort of heroes type soundtrack. And then we wanted the chorus to sound like a villain has just entered the room. And the idea that you're flipping this narrative and that you've been planning and plotting things and making them look like an accident. She said, it's sort of an inside joke between me and my fans. I tend to do that. And so this is the romantic version of that. (laughs) I think it's a fun little story. And I mean, again, it's all fictional, right? Problematic or not. She's just telling a story. Obviously, 
She didn't do the stuff in Vigilante either. I don't know. And last up, I mean, we're not going to go through track by track because we'd be here till the next Grammy special. But in general, what did you think of the extra tracks from the 3 a.m. edition? Any favorites? Any standout moments? The extra tracks almost got closer to what I thought the album was going to be based on Karma and Antihero. Yeah. Like the Great War has that more poppy vibe to it. Mm -hmm. Paris has that to it. Paris is great. I I like them all. I can't get over that they feel a little bit like bonus tracks. I don't think they're filler. I don't think they're like bloat. Yeah. I think they belong in this collection. High Infidelity is a High more... Infidelity is an incredible song. Yeah. Glitch is a little weird, but fun. Glitch is a little weird. But like, it's so much closer to the karma anti-hero like sound than the weird melancholy hazy sound that the majority of the main album had. And so I did find myself kind of going like... Why weren't these on the original version, you know, and get some of the other ones out? Yeah, well, and I mean, they kind of were. They came out three hours later. <laughs> so to some degree, yeah. everybody that just woke up and didn't listen to the album at midnight just had these right from the go. But hey, well, but these aren't the ones that won the Grammy. You're right. These are Grammy, not even nominees. The Great War, Bigger Than the Whole Sky, Paris, High Infidelity, Glitch, Woulda, Coulda, Shoulda, maybe Woulda, Coulda, Shoulda been nominated for the Grammy, but it wasn't. Dear Reader... All of them, not included in the Grammy win. Hits different. Yeah, hits different. More Lana Del Rey in the Ice Spice Karma. Wild. I think my favorite from the vault, I guess like they're not even from the vault tracks, just my favorite 3 a.m. edition tracks are probably... Probably Paris and Hits Different for me. Woo, okay. I think Paris, High Infidelity, Woulda, Coulda, Shoulda are the three I'm going to claim from there. I like what the guitar does on Hits Different. Hey, you like a guitar? Yeah. Rare day. No, I like it. It's just usually you fanboy it so much, I feel like I should talk about something else. It's true. It's true. Well, let's get into final spin for the Grammy special. Let's do it. Our second final spin for Taylor Swift. Gosh, I don't have much more to say. I'm all Taylor Swifted out. It's It's been six months. We've done two very thorough, lengthy Taylor Swift episodes. But let's talk about Midnight's. The music is catchy and very memorable in a lot of spots. Sometimes it's not. Maroon, it's not. For the most part, it's pretty consistent, pretty good. Give it an 85. Lyrically, going 83. I don't think it's Taylor Swift at her best. Is it Taylor Swift at her good? Yeah. But I just, I feel like my expectations, like you, were kind of in a different place going into Midnight's. And that factored a little bit into the score. 83 on the lyrics. Instruments and production, 84. I like the haze. I like the vibes. Sometimes it gets to be a little bit much. And yeah, I guess there is a little bit of a a lack of consistency maybe throughout all these tracks. I mean, to talk about how you've kind of got a group of tracks in Karma and Antihero and Bejeweled. And then you kind of got another group of these tracks in Question and Labyrinth and Sweet Nothing. And then you've still got another group of these tracks that don't fit anywhere like Vigilante. (laughs) You know what I mean? That kind of breaks the album up in a weird way for me. 84 for instruments and production, 87 for overall vibe. That gives its overall score an 85.7, ranking it at number 275. Those of you that listen to the Red episode might notice it's 150 below Red. Red was number 125. I thought Red had better everything. Actually, it scored higher in every single category, which is a shock to me because I usually like newer Taylor better than older Taylor. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, I called it a middle-of-the-road Taylor Swift album, Midnight's. And for me, it is. I rank it sixth out of her 10 albums so far, not counting Taylor's versions. Red's the first, Lover's the second, 1989's the third, Evermore, Folklore, then Midnight's. So that's where we're at. Wow. I know. It's just wild to me that this one won Album of the Year. The other Grammy nominees, you know, I listened to them all. 
I previewed them all for a month each just to get ready for these Grammys. And Midnight's was my fourth favorite out of those. I thought it was the fourth best nominee for Album of the Year. I think, again, a lot of it came down to how much of a fan hype there is around Taylor Swift and the fact that there's these four different versions and just all the everything going on with all these different versions and the bonus tracks. I, I th- These bonus tracks, I think, played into this, even though it wasn't on the official version that was being voted on, played into some of the voters' minds. It almost had to have. A hundred percent. With how quickly it came out after and all the... All the stuff with the clocks and there's no way that just the hype around this album didn't contribute heavily to the voting pattern. It totally did. And I think I just it depends on what sense you're considering the album of the year. Are you looking at the best album of the year? Are you looking at the album that most defined the year? Because I don't know if it's the best album of the year, but I absolutely think if you're going to pick an album that defined 2023 in the music world, it was Midnight's. It would, I think it was Endless Summer Vacation. No, it was <laughs> and not. And I think Midnight's was 2022. Okay. <laughs> because it no. came out in 2022. But that's besides the point. It only came out in October. I think, I mean, Endless Summer Vacation defined the summer of 2023 by far. I don't know. It was everywhere all summer long. Do you know how many songs I heard from Endless Summer Vacation on the radio? Flowers. Well, I don't listen to the radio, but I heard several of the songs just just like in stores and like, heck, there was one time I was like in Subway and oh which song was it from in the summer vacation that just like was playing i was like whoa th- like i didn't even know this one was a single like <laughs> it was uh, it was yeah. everywhere that summer at least for me i just think it's indicative of why flowers took record of the year and why this one got the album <sighs> also as far as it compares to our past grammy album of the year winners harry's house last year was 86 we are from two years ago, ranked number 66. So this is nowhere even close. I mean, the other two ranked top 100. They ranked top 100. I know, pretty impressive. This one was, you know, bottom quarter of the 200s. What is it? You said like two... 275. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a major drop-off. And in 2021... We didn't do a Grammy episode, but she won that Grammy with Folklore. Folklore's ranked 234. Even that was a better winner of Album of the Year for me. Well, so this is definitely, I think, not, not again, nothing against Taylor Swift. Obviously, I'm a fan, but this was probably the fourth of four out of the last four albums of the year for me. Hmm. And again, fourth of the nominees this year, but that's me. How about you? Yeah. How'd Midnight's do? How'd it compare to Red? For me, I think this is definitely three for three. Three out of three for me as well, because I have... But I have John Batiste. You gave John Batiste a pretty high eight. Oh, that, that he was the top of the eights though at his time, and I think he's fallen since then, right? He was not the top of the eights at his time. Was he not? No, you still had Halsey and Randy Travis up above him at that time. Oh, okay. But Harry's house is actually, my gosh, right beneath John Batiste. They're, You've got a Grammy right group. I have a little Grammy group. Whoa! The Country Clump and the Grammy group. Clump, hand, calm down. And the Blues Bar. It's the Country Club, the Blues Bar, and the grammy group yeah is this one gonna get an eight right in that wheelhouse i don't know let's find out it sure isn't no oh, wow. Oh, wow that sounded adamant yeah this is three out of three i think i've said everything i have to say i think taylor is the greatest artist of our time i think from from like a, a power an impact standpoint an impact standpoint yeah from an impact standpoint i think especially socially if not musically plenty of people might not like her music plenty of people might not be into pop music or whatever and certain people might not think she's overhyped or whatever but you can't deny the star power taylor swift has in the world of music no she's 
he's changed the very way we hold our writing utensils. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to music, she's got some of, if not the biggest star power. Pretty true. But I don't think this was her best work. I agree. The, o- the only other album for, that was nominated for Album of the Year that I have listened to is Endless Summer Vacation. Shocker. Listen to that the day it came out. Oh, oh yeah, you were a midnight, huh? <laughs> no, 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 no. Not a midnight. No, 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 no. You freaking stayed up till midnight to listen to it the minute it was released. I was awake at midnight anyway. I didn't stay up. I was awake and chose to spend some of my time doing that while I was awake. I just got a notification. It was like, Endless Summer Vacation, new album by Miley Cyrus, dropped today. And I was like, oh, I'll check this out and listen to it. I had no idea it was even coming out that day. <laughs> but so I know I like that one better, but I suspect many of the others, even the ones we won't do on this podcast, I would have liked better the only one i might not have liked better is olivia rodrigo sorry olivia rodrigo i'm telling you (laughs) let me tease it a little bit we are going to come back and do some of these other nominees as episodes the first one we're going to do pretty soon is sos by sizza how are we not doing sizza soon yeah we're doing sizza soon it'll come out i mean in a while we're obviously recorded ahead a little bit but yeah it's definitely coming out if it didn't win today we were going to do an episode on it so that's coming Others are coming, but they'll be later. Just, you know, by the end of the year, we'll have a pretty interesting couple comparisons that we can draw about this year's nominees. Sure. So for me, this one, and I thought I was going to get a lot of hate, and then you put it in almost the 300s. (laughs) Well, okay, but I've ranked like 750 of these things. Yeah. So still in the upper half. I'm giving this one a 5 out of 10. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. That's the biggest <laughs> drop off and spin it history from an album by one artist to the next album by that artist because this is the first time we've done it. Get it? That's the joke. Yeah, that's the joke. Yeah. Yeah. But you gave Red a pretty like medium high nine. Yeah, it's in the country club. Yeah, it's up there. It's just below Toto 4. Wow. And close, honestly, really close to Plastic Hearts. Yeah. So this one just, just fell off by four whole numbers for you. This one just didn't do it for I was not in a hazy mood at least when listening to this wow and this is the album of the year 2023 was not a good year for your albums <laughs> just disagreed with the voters on this one i guess i guess so the people's champion comes up short in the grammys where it counts the most or at all where it counts at all say i know the voters aren't a big enough sample size for for the total population of the people. No. And what do they know? Well, okay, okay. Yeah, that's it. The Spin It Grammy special where we criticize all the voters. What do they know? Yeah, make me a voter. That's what they get. Yeah, for a unit, I'm giving this one five uh, that's what you get. Five that's what you get. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, because that's what she gets, I guess. For for what? She didn't do anything. I mean, she put out an album that wasn't as good as her other ones. The Beat Miley Cyrus's? Well, no, 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 no. Listen, I don't want you to think I'm giving it a five because I'm vindictive. I'm giving it a five because I just didn't care for the album. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I'm glad you clear about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. I, Miley Cyrus could have not been nominated at all, and I would still feel this did not deserve to win in the slightest. I just have to agree. I mean, from an album, from a musical standpoint, it would not have been my pick. No. Impact standpoint, though, I stand by it. It probably was a clear head and shoulders above, but... Yeah, but then that just, you know, if that's the way people are going to vote, that just encourages the behavior to try to have a big impact and a big splash and do crazy things with your album release, not so much 
have a good album. Or, I mean, be Taylor Swift. Put out the worst album in the world if I have a wild impact with it. Put out eight different versions that all release uh, three hours apart and everybody collects. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's like. You just, you're not Taylor Swift. And, I mean, as much as you want to copy your handwriting, I know. It's just a fact of life. My uh, top three, though, in album order Lavender Haze. Nice. Anti Hero. Yep. Karma. Big jump. And Sweet Nothing, as my Connorable mentioned. Oh, I was going to say, well, that doesn't make any sense, though, for you to take more than your usual. Okay. Oh, I guess I didn't ask where in your fives it's going. Oh, yeah. Whoops. I meant to tell that. We're just so shocked by the five. You haven't put a five in here since we've been in triple digits. Your last five came in episode 92, Miranda Lambert. Miranda Lambert. She did not make the country club. (laughs) This is going to go right below weezer the blue album this you're putting this below weezer put this below weezer we're gonna get so many complaints i know that's wild i mean i'm looking at the track list for weezer's the blue album ooey ooh i look just like buddy holly i mean yeah that song alone is i think better and more catchy and more likely for me to listen to than 70 percent of this album by taylor swift holy crap (laughs) i think i'm more likely to re-listen to buddy holly by weezer than i am to revisit like midnight rain or maroon or labyrinth that's that's a wild comparison i don't endorse all the opinions expressed by connor on this podcast are solely his own that's wild you don't if you don't like what you don't think buddy holly is a it's such a good, catchy, iconic song. Yeah. I mean... It's fun. It's fun. You think Labyrinth is better than it? I didn't say that. All right. So then it sounds like you're agreeing with me. I think there are <laughs> elements of Labyrinth that are certainly better. Better than... I'd re-listen to Buddy Holly on repeat for 24 hours. Can you tell me what Buddy Holly's about? Absolutely not. Okay, see? Now ask me if I can tell you what Labyrinth's about. Can you tell me what Labyrinth's about? Absolutely not. <laughs> And we just talked about it. Oh, give this man the copycat award. <laughs> but yeah, that's where I'm putting it. So, you know, haters, come get me. Okay. This is this episode has gone in ways that I did not expect. But I will say, I will say, the four songs that I put in my top three, I really did like. I can confidently say those are the only four songs that I really cared to have a listen to again. Okay. Wow. On this album. Which one of them is going to be your playlist pick? I guess I did also like Paris and Hits Different, but those aren't on the version of the album we're talking about, so... No. On this version of the album, those are the only four I care to really hear again. Which one am I taking? Yeah. I think we should collectively take Antihero and Karma, but you may disagree. I do disagree. I think you'll have to pick one. I will pick uh, Antihero. Okay. I'm going to take... I'm going to stick by it. Yeah, I'm going to take your on your own, kid. I think that way we cover a little more diverse ground on this album than the two biggest and most well-known and, frankly, kind of similar songs. I'm actually changing my mind. I'm taking Karma. I just re-listened to it. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Karma and you're on your own, kid. Antihero, can't win a Grammy, can't make the playlist. What's it good for? <laughs> hey, that's going to do it for a second Taylor Swift episode. Who thought we'd end up here? I just wanted to do it for episode 113. I thought that'd be fun. Little did I know we were coming right up on the Grammys. I had a ton of fun watching the Grammys, predicting the Grammys, and doing this episode. Predicting them was a lot of fun. We should definitely do that again. Tons. This is a blast. I love the Grammy specials every year. I really enjoy them. I hope you do too. Stick around next week for another episode about another album, and holy crap, can I tell you something? I mean, we've already recorded the next episode and stuff because it comes out so soon. Yeah, yeah, we're a little ahead. Oh my gosh. I have had this next album we're talking about 
drilled into my brain like a sickness uh-huh. for like months. I can't stop listening to it. Well, you've had it for months. We just recorded it the other day in terms of you know actual recordings, and it's been stuck in my head for a while too. Oh gosh, yeah. Stay tuned. It's a Valentine's Day special. Yeah, it comes out after Valentine's Day, but that's okay. Either way, I hope it gets very stuck in your head too, and I hope you love the episode as much as I definitely did. Until next week, you can catch us on all our social media at Spinapod on Twitter. Sorry, X. My gosh, what a throwback. Uh-huh. And as been a pot official on Instagram. Yeah. We're also on Twitch for special live events. Yep. Where we did the live stream of our Grammy predictions. I mean, we did. We got a fun March Madness thing that's going to be happening sometime in March. So definitely go give us a follow. Well, late February. Late February. Okay. Yeah. And we've got new bonus content coming out this week to your very podcast feed. Whoa! You can find, finally, our thoughts on Florence and the Machine and whether we picked the right album when we did How Big, How Blue, How Beautiful. I say, we have a whole episode on our thoughts on Florence and the Machine. Yeah. <laughs> Will you be able to figure out whether How Big, How Blue, How Beautiful was the right pick for us or whether we should have gone for High as Hope instead? A little 10-minute, 15-minute, short, bite-sized mini episode. We're calling it Backtracks. So stay tuned for that. But yeah, a lot going on in the life of the podcast right now, which is super exciting. But we'll see you next week. And until the next Grammy album of the year gets announced, keep spinning. Keep spinning. So like, what should we do for our third Taylor Swift episode? I mean, it's going to be Tortured Poets Department, right? I mean, it's it, been released and it's going to win next year too. So uh, just the odds of that are sadly high. We just can't, I don't know. We'll see what happens at the Grammy special. It's a tradition. We can't break it. Hey, listen, if it comes out and it's a really good album, I have no problem with it winning and doing it again. I just don't want it to be another Midnight's. Well, one thing's for sure, whatever it is, it won't be another midnight. I bet it'll be in afternoons, because midnight's become her afternoon. Oh. 